So before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is December 22nd, 2020, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with Michael Gary, who is in Lafayette, Indiana. Is that correct? And we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? Uh, I was born in Lafayette in uh, 1944, the war baby. Okay. And uh, my father actually was, uh, I didn't see him until over two years later, because before I was born, he was off in England, and... uh, he spent the war in, uh, as a as a surgeon in uh, one of the hospitals near London. Wow! And didn't and didn't get back until uh, I believe it was about March of 1946. I don't know why exactly why the late release, except maybe they needed doctors over there to stay. So yeah, wow, that's uh, interesting. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, and I, I I my mother and my my older sister and I were at my stayed at my grandparents' house, uh, my father's parents, uh, in Lafayette mm-hmm. uh, during that time before they had their own house when he got back. Okay, interesting. And uh, what were your parents' names? Uh, my father's name was Richard E. Gary, G-E-R-Y. Okay. And my mother's name was uh, Iris Gale. Oh, okay. Beeman, Beeman, actually. She was born down in uh, Martinsville. Interesting, okay. And uh, where was your family from before Indiana? Uh, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> well, uh, as far back as you want, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I don't know the, the history of everybody. Yeah. Uh, my, one, my one set of grandparents uh, uh, were uh, my, my, uh, my father's father was from Colfax, which is only about 20 miles south of Lafayette. Yeah. Okay. And uh, my grandmother, uh, my father's mother, um, they have a really kind of interesting history. They go clear back to the 16, you know, time times of the Mayflower. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and came from Vermont. And they went to Iowa, spent time in Iowa. And uh, uh, my grandmother's father, pretty interesting guy named A.B. Eaton, and he uh, was in the Civil War, and he was born in 1844, and became a dentist, uh, but was in the Civil War uh, from an Iowa regiment, and he was uh, spent the whole three or four years of the Civil War uh, west of the Mississippi, with, wow. with not too many people think about west of the Mississippi being part of the Civil War, but he fought yeah. in Arkansas and places like that. Wow! Yeah, and then, and then uh, he was. They were from Anamosa, Iowa, and I think one of the things I kind of caught is my grandmother was there about the same time that Grant Wood was there, was born there. So she may have known Grant Wood, who, you know, the picture of the old couple with the pitchforks. Yeah! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, famous artist there from Anamosa, and then they uh, he had some health problems. He was a dentist. Had some health problems and moved back to a, a southern Indiana for several years, and then they moved up to Lafayette from there. And he operated a uh, uh, what we might think of now as a, I think it was a guest house back then, but it was probably more like a 
B and B kind of kind of arrangement, a little bit bigger than that, less than a hotel, but bigger than a B and B type of type of arrangement. And they it was a place where people had parties and wedding receptions and all that kind of stuff right down on the river here, which was uh, the building's not there anymore. But, uh, okay. Anyway. And that's that's the history. My my grandmother went to a local uh, Lafayette High School, and I think graduated in 1902, and married my grandfather in uh, about 1906, I believe. And then the only place I remember was the house in that they bought. Uh, that became a place where I hung out a lot you know, when I was really young, which was only about four or five blocks from where my parents lived. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Now, what were your parents' occupations? Uh, my mother, I believe, uh, my, my father's a doctor. He okay. Guys, uh, went to IU Med School, and I think uh, right after they were married, they were living in, uh, I think, in Woodruff Place in Indianapolis for a year. Oh, okay. Where he was get, getting his, uh, I think the uh, the med school was shorter than his residency where we became a surgeon. <laughs> I don't know exactly how they did it back then, but I think then, then finally uh, he got his full medical degree and moved to uh, Lafayette, I think, in 19, I believe 1939. And spent, uh, you know, three, about three years, joined the Arnett Clinic, which was a small clinic that's become a bigger, much bigger place, or did before it merged with the hospitals. And uh, then... Uh, I can't remember when he was called up, but he went, uh, spent about a year in Texas, Lubbock, I think, which he thought was sort of the end of the world, and the earth, I think. Hmm. Um, and then from there, in 1943, uh, he shipped out to uh, England. Never, never knew exactly. I think it was pretty highly classified where he worked because uh, I think they didn't want the hospitals bombed or something like that. Mm. <laughs> okay. So it was around London someplace, and he was he was there for uh, two to three years. Yeah, that's interesting. So how would you describe your childhood growing up then? Uh, in Lafayette? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I don't remember much of it before I was three or four, but uh, I, do, my, my, I do have an early political memory. I remember uh, when I was... Probably about four, four and a half, I guess it would have been. My parents, uh, we lived in a little tiny, small house over on a place called King Street in Lafayette. And I remember them going out the door to vote. Mm, okay. November, November of 1948. And I'm sure they voted for Dewey. Mm -hmm. uh, I think doctors were all Republicans at that point. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I also remember... Uh, uh, a little later on, it might have been when I was, uh, maybe probably the next one, I remember uh, my father had a friend who was a local county, I think he was a surveyor or something like that, uh, or auditor, I can't remember, uh, but in the Republican Party and going over to their house in uh, Lafayette, not very far away from where we lived, and... Uh, Knowing, I think we played outside most of the time, but I do remember the reason for the party or reason for the get-together was the Republican National Convention in 1952 mm. when Eisenhower and Taft were uh, fighting it out uh, for the Republican nomination. And uh, that's a 
that's about all I remember about it. Yeah, that's, sure. That's, that was that was going on. So that, that, by that time I was eight years old, so I can remember a little bit better about some of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, when I was nine, my family moved. Uh, had, had we moved once before, and it was in law in Lafayette, and then we we moved to West Lafayette when I was nine years old. And uh, when I was twelve, my mother had a stroke and uh, was uh, an invalid pretty much for the rest of uh, rest of her life. For wow, nine years. And so I was uh, I was pretty much left with a house full of women: uh, my mother's nurse, and my grandmother, and a, yeah. a lady lady that came in and cooked. And my father, of course, was being a pretty busy surgeon. He was leaving by 7 o'clock in the morning and getting back by 7 o'clock at night type of thing. So I was kind of uh, kind of raised by, by women. I had one older sister, uh, two years older. Yeah. And I don't know. That's, uh, I got very involved in athletics. Uh, started you know, baseball was something everybody did and basketball was something everybody did. And I also played golf. Uh, when I you know, started that about when I was about nine or ten years old, and played golf and basketball in high school. Um, we, you know, West Lafayette was not Lafayette was the big basketball school. They, they, but West Lafayette was we, we, we were probably the second best team in the area. Uh, hmm, that's and, cool. I don't know. I continued playing basketball. I went back. I went to college, not in college, but I played in some independent industrial leagues and things like that. So, uh, and then in golf, I uh, uh, I was better in golf than I was uh, anything else. I played. Uh, I went to college uh, at Purdue, uh, which oh. was all about all about six blocks from where we lived. Yeah. And uh, I was on the golf team at Purdue, and I played on two of the Big Ten championship teams. Wow. There in the early, about mid mid nineteen sixties, and yeah, um, I, I will say with this, I during the time I was in the general assembly, there wasn't any question I was the best golfer in the in the, in the general assembly. <laughs> yeah, that would <laughs> uh, the best, yeah. the best golfer ever in the general assembly. Yeah. I can't know. I don't know of anybody who yeah. was really pretty good. That, yeah. That's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. You go back to the nineteen twenties or thirties, maybe somebody played golf. Back then. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, my majors in, uh, in college were uh, uh, history and, and uh, political science. Oh, okay. And uh, then I, uh, I was I was married between my sophomore and junior years, uh, very young. And uh, my wife and I both then went to IU for grad grad school. Yeah. Okay. And I got a, a master's of arts, arts and teaching uh, in history uh, and education from uh, IU. Yeah. And okay. Got, cool. That's where I got the teaching credentials. I was a student taught. Uh, moved back, you know, after after two years, and moved back to Lafayette. I got a job at uh, at uh, West Lafayette, my alma mater, and uh, teaching in. Uh, Government history, econ, you know, social studies type thing. Right. And uh, a student taught in Kokomo. Uh, had a political experience then. I had a, one class that was sort of like figure out what you're going to do with these 
these people. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and, I, and I organized a bunch of, uh, of trips uh, and, uh, and you know, it, it, to look at businesses and this sort of thing and, and, and go through all those kinds of things. And ten, but also we t- I took them down town to the courthouse square when Bobby Kennedy came through to uh, campaign in Indiana in 1968. Wow. And uh, so we saw Bob Kennedy and his wife, uh, Ethel, you know, to... Yeah. And that, that was a uh, kind of important. I got involved a little bit in politics that year in the, in the 1968 uh, Democrat uh, contest for the nomination. And actually, I was, a, I was for McCarthy, Gene McCarthy. Okay, yeah. And uh, Kennedy was running. And then uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson had bowed out, but he sort of designated uh, as a stand-in for him, uh, the governor of Indiana was Robert Roger Brannigan, who was also from Lafayette, uh, as his person. And uh, so uh, the three of them were the candidates for uh, for the Democrat primary and the, for the presidency. And Kennedy, I believe, won. And let's see. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. You covered a lot, a lot of good, good things there. So that's that's you. You got some of my questions out of the way, which is good. Um, let's see. I was yeah. I was curious about a few more things to delve into specifics a bit more about about some topics. Um, who would you say was the most influential person in your childhood? Um, good question. I probably uh, pretty much of a pretty much of a loner after my mother, uh, you know, became incapacitated pretty much. Right. Uh, I would say a combination, probably my father and my grandmother. Okay. Sure. And as a child, uh, what views did you have about the state of Indiana or being a Hoosier? Uh, I was probably, uh, more attuned to watching Oscar Robertson play basketball. You know? Okay, <laughs> fair enough. I was uh, I spent hours uh, shooting baskets in the driveway, and uh, just like probably most a lot of other kids did in Indiana back then. And uh, uh, I played baseball also through little league, but uh, baseball conflicted with golf, and so it was pretty hard to. And not that everybody specialized back then, which they didn't, but right. Uh, uh, even so. Uh, it was hard to spend time doing both. So I used to, I, I, I would spend days on the golf course and then probably head over to uh, to the playground to shoot baskets. Uh, you know, in the, in the late afternoons when I was twelve and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, you know, I said if we didn't have a, you know, I mean, when I was in high school, it seemed like you had, uh, you know, some of the kids did ball and some of the kids did cars. And a few of them did both, and a few of them didn't either. But those were the two main things. You were right. <laughs> you either were in love with your first car, or you were in love with something that had to do with <laughs> baseball, basketball, football, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how about uh, how did you view your college experiences? No, I'm just sorry. Go ahead. Uh, how did you view your college experiences? Um, you know, I think I was. Uh, I kind of view it by a lot of my early life as just following the next step. You know? Okay, sure. <laughs> you know, first you went here, first you went there, and then you went to college, and then yeah, that's. I don't think I get. I did have a, probably a a choice. I've never been real sure whether I did the right thing or not. I did get accepted to Northwestern 
Okay. And uh, but I got accepted a little bit late. I kind of already made my plans and this sort of thing to go to Purdue and play golf for Purdue and all that. And so I, I didn't do it. But I was uh, probably if I'd have been accepted, you know, bad parts Western before I was accepted at Purdue, I probably uh, you know would have given that some pretty serious thoughts. So I right, right. Made it. That was a a decision I always wondered about. Uh, but uh, you know, as I say, I got married after between my sophomore and junior year in the summertime. And uh, after that, my, you know, well, I'm sure one of the reasons I went to IU was that my wife had a scholarship there for graduate school. So. Oh, okay, sure. Yes. And in what ways did your awareness of politics change as you, uh, you know, went to undergrad and grad school? Well, you know, I, my, my father was... Uh, if he was anything, he was a Republican, but mostly he was a doctor. Yeah. And uh, so politics wasn't exactly something that he came home and talked about every day or anything like this. I'm, I think other than being like most doctors and not liking the, you know, Medicare and Medicaid. You know, okay. That was liquor. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, doctors being sued was not a big idea. I think that was right. anybody was wild about. Yeah. Um, so those were those were issues, but other than that, I I know somebody talked him into going to the uh, Republican state convention when Roger Brannigan was, uh, you know, running for the nomination. Yeah, and and they did that as a Republican delegate, but I think that was more for Roger Brannigan than it was for party. But but it was a topic. I mean, we talked about governmental issues, you know, occasionally. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure that came. I mean, nobody else was uh, in the household particularly interested, I don't think. Yeah. But probably more for him from him. Uh, sure. But it, but in, anyway, that was that wasn't a huge thing. Yeah. But but I think but I think you know government was important. Uh, I can remember uh, you know glued into the TV when Nixon and Kennedy debated in 1960. I was 16 by then, but. Uh, I know I watched all of that. Yeah. In those debates, uh, when I was in high school, there were some. Uh, I think in uh, I can remember in uh, being in uh, government class in 1962. That been my senior year, and I think uh, you know our uh, our our, prof- our professor, our teacher, and. Uh, government sort of disappeared and people wondered where he was and he was like one of the guys he'd, he'd been in the reserve and he got called down to Florida uh, you know where, where you know the Russian the missile crisis and all that was right. going on and uh, so that was kind of interesting yeah and, uh, um, I would say one of the persons person that probably got me uh, thinking about politics a little more was a guy named Floyd Fithian who was a congressman he well, eventually was a congressman. He was just running. He was a professor at Purdue. Yeah, okay. And ran, and ran for Congress in 1972. And I helped him on his campaign. And we also had a congressman here that, that the incumbent was a guy named Earl Landgrieve, who um, probably have to read some about Earl Landgrieve. He was quite controversial in himself. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you remember one time in the, in the campaign in 1972, he, he referenced. Uh, Maybe that was in '74. He referenced the students here as little bastards. Okay. And that, that, that didn't do him any good. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
but 15 we had against him in 1972, which was a year that uh, that uh, literally I, I I don't know that any Democrat won. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was McGovern year, and uh, um, by that time, we, I, I uh, my wife and I and our two young sons at that point moved out uh, east of Lafayette, about five miles on what was considered a farm, but it was about 20 acres. I think yeah. that's farms could be designated pretty small acreage, I think. And uh, it was an old, uh, it was a house that was built in 1848, brick house that had been re- redone in the 1920s uh, by a guy named McClintock, I think, and uh, at least he lived there. And, and McClintock was a guy at Purdue who had, uh, there was a McClintock strawberry. <laughs> okay. And uh, and it was it was pretty nice. Uh, and you know the barn we had ten acres. I planted I planted walnut trees. We planted four thousand trees uh, by hand. That's wow. Fun. And uh, I actually paid uh, paid a few members. Uh, I don't know. Was I'm sure it was legal. <laughs> but, uh, a few of the kids that were uh, in my class. That's I paid them. I think a dollar and a half an hour. Uh, to come out and help me plant the uh, plant walnut trees. These were like juniors and seniors in in high school. That was that was a lot of fun. I worked on that. I don't know what that would translate a dollar and a half an hour in nineteen seventy to. Uh, yeah, to not sure. Yeah, <laughs> probably eight bucks or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was a. I, I enjoyed that. We were out there three and a half years, and um, moved back into. West Lafayette for a variety of reasons in 1973, and uh, one was the schools, and uh, I decided to run for the Senate by that time, and uh, it was a lot easier to run from, from, I have a home base in West Lafayette where I grew up, Yeah. and then then out there in the stick. But 1972, I did did become the precinct committeeman of... uh, of Perry 2, Perry Township Precinct 2. And uh, it was a rural thing. I remember spending huge amounts of time going door to door in a rural area, driving up country lanes and this sort of thing, and asking people whether they're Democrats or Republicans. And, and it was pretty easy to tell early that uh, that Richard Nixon was, I have no problem winning this uh, this precinct. I think the final score on, it was, on the vote was 81% to 19 uh which is about as bad as you can do, I think. Right, right. Uh, from McGovern, and uh, I remember, I remember up campaigning some and talking about. Uh, I, I kind of quit talking about McGovern and saying, uh, you know, that just remember, Matt Welch is a real good guy. He's running for governor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he'd been, you know, he'd been governor before and this sort of thing, and he was running, but he had no chance against uh, Bowen in 1972. Right, right. <laughs> so, anyway, that was another. Interesting. A guy had, had been to precinct committee, been there by the name of Alonzo Boer. Really a good guy, just uh, tremendously uh, a lot of integrity. And uh, when I was when I when he saw I was interested, he was getting to the age where he didn't want to do it anymore, and he was fine with me being there. I also ran for delegate for the state convention in 1972. Wow! And that was. Uh, that was back when people actually wanted to go. I mean, uh, yeah, because the delegates actually selected the governors. There wasn't. That was the last time I think it was a primary. I think the primary all came in right 
about that time. It was 1976, I believe it was. Uh, it was a primary uh, nomination process. But in that, this was the last time the convention really met. And, well, and Welch and Laurie Conrad uh, had a had a lot of support each. Uh, Welch won, but Conrad then got the nomination next time in 1976. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I did have a little bit of a political background already when, before I decided to run. And uh, you know, it's a pretty heavily Republican district, though, and it always had been. And I was a Democrat, so. Anytime I ran for election, it was going to be a, a little bit of a fight. Right. So I, but I won, uh, I won in 1974. 1974 was a pretty good year for a Democrat to run. That was the Watergate year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, I won pretty easily. I think I won 58% in that election. And yeah, I always thought I was, that it wasn't a lark, uh, you know, why, why in the world do you think you can win as a Democrat type of thing? Because that. There was a lady that had run before, in 1970, against the guy that I was going to run against. The guy's name was Jess Andrew. He mm-hmm. had a family, family history that went back in the, mainly in the House, I think, before he became the senator there. But uh, she had run a pretty good race, and she, she'd won 46% or something like this. And I just felt that I, I had a lot advantages, you know, that she didn't have. I lived there all my life and played ball and my father was well known and my grandparents were well known. Right. uh, And just all of that together and and people didn't really run campaigns back there. I I don't know, we may may just turn a little bit to uh, politics uh, if you wanted to, uh, uh, you know, on how, if if you're interested at all in how elections are changed and yeah, yeah. And that kind of thing. I, I mean, I think before, uh, we didn't run with emery boards and pencils and, you know, calendars and things like this. Right. Billboard, billboards. This, uh, I had learned this from Fithian. Uh, Fithian had started uh, after he lost in 1972 to Landry, started doing a voter identification program. Uh, you know, and essentially having people, and I, and I helped out a lot on this this thing with a lot of people and volunteers to go into the courthouse and just go through every precinct and write down did people have a history of voting in Democratic primaries and Republican primaries and did they vote every time did they not vote in off-year elections and all that which sounds pretty rudimentary compared to what they can do now with uh, you know just looking what Google does you know, you know right, with, right. Without, with knowing everything that you want where it pops up before on, on your computer before you even know you want it uh, but it was pretty new back then to do this and in the legislative race it probably was unheard of but you know we had all that information I can still remember uh, putting index out cards out if I was going to go campaign and knock on doors in a precinct putting all the index cards down on the floor you know by street and, you know, we'd like the precinct would run with uh, with streets and say, okay, sure, you know, stop at this house because they vote in every general election and they don't have a Democrat or Republican vote history, voting history. So that's a high, high high priority. And then, you know, the next one maybe is voted Democrat every single time, skip them because you're going to win their vote anyway. I mean, you could run through precincts like those kinds of things and you could target areas. Uh, no, the ISTA got involved in all this. They started targeting, and they say, here are the precincts uh, 
that you need to campaign in. And, and I said, Jesus, I'm, I'm way past that part. You know, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we targeted people individually. Like I say, in 1974, this was really new territory. I don't think anybody was doing that kind of thing that I know of. Uh, and that, that was the kind of thing that we sort of brought. That was the modern era of politics. <laughs> right. Um, and then it got a lot better. When we when, when I ran, uh, the Democrats picked up seats that year, and I think we had, uh, it was 27-23, my first, and Republicans uh, had the majority. Um, and uh, we had, uh, in the summer of 1975, Maybe it was seventy six. I can't remember. We had a, we had a golf fundraiser. I organized a golf fundraiser along with another person, and uh, we. And as far as I know, it was the first golf fundraiser anybody had. That became the in thing to do with all the caucuses to tap the lobbyists and other people. You know, to yeah. Contribute to contribute. I know we raised thirteen thousand dollars, and uh, we used that money. A friend of mine, and I, Louis Mayhern, you may have probably talked to him or what. Uh, and uh, we went around uh, and visited all our top uh, candidates, you know, that we had hoped in in 1976. I remember it was such a good time. We uh, we made up uh, yeah, we made up campaign uh, slogans for all the uh, all the ones that uh, wanted to put their name on pencils and hand them out. You know. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, and which we thought was silly because we wanted it in t- TV and radio and uh, <laughs> things like this, uh, and uh, tried to persuade them to spend our money wisely. <laughs> and, uh, but we were making, you know, handing out, you know, a thousand here and a thousand there to various candidates, and we won uh, in '76. We we picked up five seats and uh, took the majority, and so that's the last time the Democrats had the majority in the Senate. Yeah. Uh, wow. So that. And uh, that'd be probably a topic you want to talk about as the demise of a political party in the legislature and why it happens and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, is, definitely, definitely. You know, somewhere along the line. But anyway, one and uh, and um, you know, I I was I because I had such a competitive district. I mean, I always had a, a good candidate pretty much running against me. And I I will tell you that I spent. Uh, I spent about forty-five hundred dollars in nineteen seventy-four, and in seventy-eight it was seventeen thousand, and in eighty-two, my opponent and I both spent about fifty thousand, which became, I think, the richest or the most expensive campaign in the history of the of the legislature. Wow! And uh, you know that's a joke today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and in nineteen ninety, uh, I ran again, and my opponent and I both spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars apiece in the. And that three hundred thousand, I think, topped anything that had ever been done. And uh, I, and I, you know that that record was not bound bound to hold for very long because campaigns were just going kind of through the roof. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was back when in the day. I think Floyd Fithian uh, might have raised uh, three or four hundred thousand dollars for one of his campaigns for Congress, and now now some of them talk about you know millions, uh, you know, to to run for. Uh, Congressional seat, so things have changed along that. But anyway, that's a. Oh, I, I did get in, involved in a in a governor's race. Uh, Bob Fair, uh, who uh, was a senator from Princeton, Indiana, kind of my mentor. I thought so. He was probably the best legislator I ever served with. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
and he was uh, pro tem then of the Senate, and we had a we had a pretty hotly contested race for the for the leadership position when we we did that. But I I supported him, and you know he asked me what I wanted after <laughs> afterward. I wasn't used to this kind of a politics. He said, "What do you want to do?" He said, uh, "I said, well, I want I." I wasn't shy, so I wanted to be on the finance committee, and I wanted to be the the member of the budget committee, and uh, you know a couple other things. And uh, he said, "Fine." So I went on the Frank O'Bannon became the chairman of the finance committee, and that was the first time I really worked with him on on a lot. And uh, I started on the budget committee. I was an alternate for, alternate for two years, and uh, then I was on the the Democrat. Senate representative on the budget committee for 20 years from 1978 to 1998 when I didn't didn't run again, and I think that's maybe the longest period of time anybody's ever served on the on the budget committee. Wow! But that was a great that was a great experience. Uh, you know, you you back then the the, the budget committee traveled uh, about five months you know, after the legislature let out during the summer months and fall. We took off for like two and a half or three days. And visited all the, you know, geez, all the mental health hospitals and all the prisons and all the universities and you know all the state parks and you know, and uh, really was a great opportunity to uh, to uh, know what the state did. You know, yeah. Because I, sure. I don't think many I don't think many legislators actually really have a good feel for what the state actually does. And uh, but here you were, you know, you were meeting with all these people, and and we meet probably have twenty meetings uh, in the fall uh, up in the preceding the next budget and to listen to all the agencies come in and uh, make their requests and uh, most of the time you know we, we would ask the, the agencies uh, of government to you know not only you know give us your dreams you know to, what would you do you know if you could what, what would you and DNR do if you really had the money to do anything you want to do and then more you know we'd ask them to order a list and order priorities uh, and that got kind of uh, curtailed. Uh, when uh, actually, I would say is that when uh, when Evan Bayh was elected, shouldn't say this about my fellow Democrat here, but um, they pretty well turned changed that. They didn't want the agencies uh, uh, really telling telling you all all that they needed, <laughs> you know? right, all right, they, all that they wanted, I should say, but only uh, they wanted that to pass through the executive branch first, and then only talk about the things that uh, had already been pre been decided. So they kind of cut the you know, I didn't like that much from the budget committee standpoint because I thought it was really valuable to hear all the things, not that just that we were going to do, but what we could do or what people thought was a good idea. Was, um, I'd like to, you know, dream a little bit you know, as sure. opposed to having control. Um, I don't know. I I, uh, I helped help Bob Fair. Uh, Bob Fair decided to run for governor. This was before that he was elected pro tem and we took the majority, but he ran for governor in the first primary. I, and I uh, I helped him. I was kind of some interesting anecdotes about going with him a couple of places, particularly up in Lake County, uh, to campaign for, for governor. Uh, Conrad won, won the Eastland. Uh, Jack New was the other candidate. He was the state treasurer back in the, that time. So I don't know whether you wanted to yeah. hear anything about. Um, I, do, I do remember going up to uh, to Lake County and, and the uh, 
But the good thing about Lake County as a Democrat, if somebody was for your opponent, there would be somebody else for you. <laughs> right, right. They, they, uh, you know, they, they were at each other's throats, and so uh, I think you know, Conrad and New had the endorsements of somebody else and this person, and uh, so uh, Fair had the endorsement of uh, Mayor Hatcher, who was a mayor of Gary. And uh, I remember going to his house up in Lake County with Bob uh, Fair, and uh, had a nice meeting with some people. And when we got ready to leave, uh, Hatcher said, "Well, you know, follow follow these people out to the interstate." And Fair <laughs> said, "Oh, we can we can find it ourselves." And Mayor Hatcher says, "No." follow them <laughs> I'm not sure there was a person whether they were both in front of us and behind us or not yeah but get us out of here and he was pretty pretty clear about uh, he didn't want anything happening to to us well, yeah <laughs> so that was kind of kind of strange I did this I, I actually uh, worked on Frank O'Bannon's campaign for governor in 1988 wow okay when, when he ran against uh, uh, Evan Bott yeah. Uh, for a while, then he dropped out and became lieutenant governor candidate. But that was kind of interesting because, I, you know, we went to a lot of different places. I'll, I'll stop with that. That's, uh, yes, that's interesting, yeah. Um, so I guess changing directions a little bit, uh, do you have any children? Yeah, I have two. Uh, I have three sons. Uh, I, I, got, uh, I got divorced in uh, 1975. Okay. Uh, had two boys. Uh, one is uh, works for a company in Fort Wayne. Oh, okay. And uh, one is a musician in Nashville. Wow. And that's not not a good time right now for musicians in Nashville. Yeah, they, I bet. They don't, they don't perform. So. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. He's, he's kind of with it. I have a, a son with uh, my my second wife. Oh, okay. Uh, here he lives here in West Lafayette. Yeah. Now. How much influence uh, did your family have on your political career? Uh, uh, well, I'm not sure exactly where you're coming from. I, I would say it was uh, it was big help uh, in early years running to have uh, have, a, have a father that was uh, you know probably the I'll say I'll say he was the best surgeon in town and a man yeah and a and a person who. I always told him that uh, that was great because the the people that were still around thought he was great, and the people that weren't, uh, well, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but but he also uh, he also didn't didn't uh, operate in this sort of thing. Just in Tippecanoe County, he would travel. That doctoring was different back in the in those days, and uh, uh, he would. Spend one day a week going to places like Rensselaer and Monticello and uh, Williamsport and areas that are, were around this area, which came kind of helpful when we got I got reapportioned a little bit. Uh, that I knew, you know, the name the name Gary was known up in Fowler and Monticello and <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Rensselaer and all these places, uh, you know, that were now in my, my new district. Uh, so, but that was that was extremely helpful. Uh, because the whole family had grown up in the Lafayette area. My grandfather, actually, the first time I campaigned, and the second, maybe I would go into houses where they they didn't know my father, but even my grandparents. Oh, okay. Yeah, that works. So, uh, that, that, 
that, I mean, I, I know that had to be a help. I always won by enough. I'm not sure there was any one thing that uh, ever made a difference, but uh, yeah, but it certainly, it certainly was helpful. Uh, I can't paint a lot in the student areas in Purdue. We, we, uh, a lot of that's you can't do anymore. Uh, we, you know, there was a court case. I believe it was up in Michigan, maybe at the University of Michigan. It had gone through, I think, the United States Supreme Court, where they, uh, the court ruled uh, that people running for office had to be allowed to, uh, you know, First Amendment kinds of things to be able to express their, get their views out and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, at least for a while, uh, you know, we could, you had to set it up in a way that, you know, you, if you're going to campaign in dorms or or places like that, you had to go with escorts, and they had to, you know, it had to be controlled in some way. But that wasn't any problem. So, my, the guy I, I I sort of grew up politically with here was Stan Jones. I don't, I don't know whether you have his name down. He was, and uh, uh, the, the he was my House representative, and I was his his senator. We were both really young when we first. Oh, okay. I, I was one of the, I was thirty. I was 29 when I announced, and I was, you know, 30 through most of the campaign. Stan was about five or six years younger than me. I think he was only 24. Oh wow! And so we we actually were pretty good university student campaigns. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we weren't too much different from uh, you know the people we were knocking on their doors with. Sure. Uh, but you know, we we sort of got that down to. Uh, but when we first ran in 1974, Stan had run in 1972. I guess the lady named Francis Gaylor, who had been in the house for some time. Um, and so he'd been through the thing once, and he had some people that were there, and so that was that was pretty helpful. But I know when we when we sat down with the representatives of uh, Birch Bay and uh, Floyd Fithian, who were also on the ticket, and uh, that I, I remember Fithian, Fithian wanted to, to basically... Uh, register every student that was alive because he was running against a guy named Earl Landry who was referenced students unfavorably and, and uh, was really pretty vulnerable on that. And uh, on the other hand, Birch Bayh didn't want to register very many at all. He wanted to be very, very careful on who he targeted because he was running against uh, Dick Luger. Okay, sure. And, and, and Purdue had a large number of students that were uh, from Marion County, from that area, and also... You know, people think of colleges sometimes as being bastions of liberalism, but I'll tell you, when you're campaigning with uh, engineering students and agricultural students and pharmacy students, uh, they're not. <laughs> the students were uh, pretty evenly balanced between Democrats and Republicans. And so, I mean, Stan and I, pretty much after we we kind of threw out the Fithian and by approach and said, why do we need to listen to these guys? You know, we're the ones that are here. We're the ones that are going to do it. So we sort of did it our way. Okay, sure. And uh, and we had a large, we we had the heaviest number of students vote in 1974 of any year at Purdue until uh, Obama in 19 uh, in 2008. Wow. And uh, so we pretty much controlled the whole voter registration process. Yes. You know, and uh, it did extremely well there. Students were always kind of a I just say a, a cushion. I mean, I, my goal was to win the rest of the thing. If I won by, by the campus by two thousand votes, that was just icing on the cake, kind of thing. So, I, yeah, it, it was. Uh, 
I think they that allowed me to win pretty easily every sure. time. Sure. Uh, I, I diverged from whatever we were talking no, about. No, that's okay. That kind of makes me uh, think of the next sort of subject here. Um, so as you initially became involved in, in politics, what were the key issues or legislation you wanted to champion or fight against? Um, I, I remember the, uh, I was trying to think about 1974, I mean, the issues that uh, were pretty big. Uh, one, unquestionably, was the Equal Rights Amendment. That that was a question everywhere you went. How, what was your stand on that? Right. And uh, I think that issue worked to my advantage in the first. I was for it. Uh, my opponent had voted against it or had been against it and was, you know, so that I think helped with a lot of overall. And the other one I remember was uh, no no fault divorce. Uh, Indiana was in the process. We changed, I think, that law in 1975. Uh, and uh, before you had to give cause, you know, reasons. You had to make something up right. about your spouse or something to, to get divorced. And uh, alimony uh, was a big part of all that. And I believe the no-fault divorce uh, basically said uh, irreconcilable differences, you know, is, is good enough. Right, right. And and uh, and also, I'm not so sure we didn't drop alimony. Uh, I think it just became child support issues. Uh, I can't remember about that for sure. But um, some of the other other things, the, the big bill that had passed in 1973, the year before I was elected, was the uh, Bowen property tax bill. Oh, okay. Which changed the way we related to, uh, particularly regard to uh, it involved both schools and uh, and civil governments, which were dependent on the property tax. And this really moved away, uh, particularly on schools, uh, which were probably predominantly majority of their funding came from property taxes until the until that bill. The I believe there were income and sales taxes that both got raised in the 73 bill with the idea that the state would take over a lot more of funding and change the, the school fund funding formula. If you want to talk about the school funding formula later, <laughs> if that's any big part, I did get uh, pretty well versed in that at the time. And, okay. Uh, but, you know, that's, uh, that's an extra 10 or 15 months. <laughs> 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 so, you know, if you don't want to do that, but... Uh, that was the school funding formula was always the big deal. How that was going to break out? Yeah. After after the '73 bill passed, where you, uh, yeah, you, the, it was important that there was a freeze on property taxes, but it was on the amount, not on the rate. So that sure. was a pretty key key distinction because what it did was it fro froze the amount that you could raise total. It didn't matter whether the value of the property was going up or the assessed value, I should say, but. Uh, and I think the Bowen administration finally admitted that they they knew it couldn't last that way because you just right. wouldn't, wouldn't have the you know if you just kept that always going down. But you know that wasn't what they claimed at the time. Uh, that's that's a, a bill I actually 1978 I wrote down as a pretty important change. But so that the property tax was was still an important thing during that to some people, particularly farmers, I suppose. Right. People with a lot of property. Um, and yeah, those are the only ones that really stick out as a, 
as uh, you know, the the, the uh, equal rights movement became a, a big deal in uh, three years later in '77, I believe, is when Indiana passed it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that was when we took the majority. And what, what I remember about that is that you know there were there were at least a handful of Republicans that were uh, were for things, things weren't. Uh, yeah, the, the, there's a big change in the in the in the way after about 1980, I think, and the Reagan Revolution and all that type of thing came through, and uh, things like abortion, you know, you know, Roe versus Wade was in '73, right there about about that time. But abortion had always been a little bit of an issue, but it never became the dominant one until later, right. as far as the cultural world is concerned. But Roe versus Wade kind of changed a little bit of that, but it took a while. And just as a as a side, uh, one of the things, uh, you know, it must have been about 1976 or seven in the mid uh, mid 70s locally, and I'm sure that they did this around the state in different areas. Uh, but in Lafayette, uh, Planned Parenthood always had a, every other year had a a thing for all the legislators where they had people in and they showed them. Uh, uh, you know what they did, and uh, you know the kinds of, uh, oh, okay. kinds of they were doing. Yeah. And uh, and anyway, uh, I remember back when I went to one of these things back in the in the, I'd say late seventy, maybe seventy seven, uh, of how uh, mixed it was. It wasn't a Democrat Republican thing the way it is. It'd be the way it became. Uh, and uh, what I recall was that not not unsurprisingly for a place like Tipping New County, but. Uh, where Republicans tend to dominate, but Republicans tend to dominate not just politically, but but the the main players about what's going on in town and this sort of thing. And and, uh, and Planned Parenthood had a board that was uh, majority, which I would put in as a who's who in Republican politics kind of thing. I, I know Earl Butts. You, remember, you know that name? Um, uh, vaguely, I suppose, but yeah, not much. Earl Butts was uh, Nixon's uh, Secretary of Agriculture. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. And but he lived in Lafayette and was a professor professor at Ag Econ at Purdue. And uh, I think he might have been head of the board of, of Planned Parenthood Republican. <laughs> and uh, you know, to the extent that uh, abortion was part of that, I mean, abortion was always an issue, but it never was just the the deciding factor in anybody's life. I don't think. Uh, right. A lot of other things more important. But those things were very mixed things. I mean, there were just as many Republicans on one side as the Democrats, at least in my area. Yeah. In fact, if, if there was an anti-abortion group, it probably came out of the uh, uh, of Catholic uh, Democrats, uh, you know, who tended to be more Democrat at that point. Sure. Uh, but so all that really changed, I think, uh, somewhere around 1980. Uh, we talked about 1980 election when Reagan came in. It was the first time... Uh, we referenced uh, words like the God Squad in the Senate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, where we had three or four new people on kind of came in that year in the Republican Party that clearly the, some of these uh, moral majority cultural issues became more much more important than uh, than before. Sure. Uh, trying to trying to think here, but. Uh, Um, talk about the budget committee, I guess. Uh, again, uh, I, oh, uh, I, I thought I'd give you a name. I don't know whether Phil Conklin is still alive. 
But if you yeah. wanted, wanted to hear anything about the budget committee, I think he wrote a little book about it. Oh, okay. Interesting, um, yeah. Uh, so you might might get a hold of that. Uh, the budget committee had the... Uh, there's a huge court case. I, I can't remember... Uh, I can't remember the guy's name that was uh, the legislator. that, But the budget committee had powers, exercise powers, literally... Uh, what most people would have regarded as executive powers. I mean, they, they could kill things. You know? Right, right, of course. Uh, and uh, there was a court case back in the late 60s or early, maybe it was late 60s, maybe the early 70s, uh, where they struck down uh, a lot of the budget committee's powers uh, that they sort of had served as a, you know an invasion of the executive branch. And so the budget committee, by the time I got there, the budget committee had changed. There was a representative from each caucus, and then there was the uh, budget agency director. They changed the names of all these. I don't think there's a budget agency director now, but uh, I don't know what they call it today. Right. And, and I think the budget committee has been maybe even lessened a little bit. But still, there was a lot of a lot of authority that the budget committee sort of exercised. But... Uh, they always had, there was always a three to two edge in favor of the governor's party. Because you'd have two Democrat and two Republican legislators, and then the budget agency director would be the appointee of the governor. So, sure. Uh, but still, there was a real, there was a real, if you were a governor, you didn't want three to two votes on things. <laughs> right, no. And, and, and in most cases, we almost always had a five vote on anything we did, because it was usually talked out beforehand. Um, I, I would say that was a general difference i mean people were partisan but it almost seemed like uh before each session of the legislature the governor and the leadership of both parties would pretty much sit down and at least kind of agree agree on you know here's the three or four or five things we need to do right and, and uh you know everything else was maybe fair game for a fight but uh, those would be the you know things that we'd make sure we got done Besides a budget, there might be, you know, utility legislation or something else that needed to needed to happen, and uh, that's that's I think a big change from today. Maybe not in Indiana since it's so one sided, but uh, I think in a lot of places, certainly in Congress, uh, you don't see that. Sure. Uh, I think there there was there has been a there was a lot more reliance on individual uh, relationships. That you might have. Uh, I remember when I was I was on the education committee in 1975, uh, my first year, and uh, dutifully sat there as a freshman, you know, and uh, listen. The guy who was the head of the education committee was a guy named Eldon Lundquist, really good guy from up around Elkhart, I think. And uh, he was only there, I think, the, the first two years I was there, and he retired. Um, but he was respected a lot by, by people, and I participated in education. He comes up to me about oh, maybe the next to the last meeting and says, uh, do you have any bills you want heard? And uh, I was kind of taken back. And I said, well, yeah, there's one, and it had to do with, with education service centers. Uh, I had one in West Lafayette, and there were three of them in the state. They'd initially been funded by the federal government. Right. But... Uh, it was kind of an in interesting concept. They were, they were like centers for maybe a, 
oh, 40, maybe 40, 50 schools, or maybe maybe less than that, 20 school corporations in the area, uh, not just in Tippecanoe New County, but in all the surrounding counties. And they could be uh, bulk buyers uh, of, of anything, paper. They could be a repository for films and and uh, other kinds of things that you would schools might have shown and this sort of thing. And so the idea was uh, things that you know schools wouldn't necessarily have lots of, uh, but would be valuable for particularly rural corporations. Um, you know, they simply could be like a library. You know, that you could borrow the stuff and bring it back and that sort of thing, and make them available to everybody. And so uh, the the, uh, the the legislation I had was simply make them the state function. Uh, and with the idea that it would be expanded to other locations and this sort of thing. And uh, and I, I remember uh, I, he said, uh, you, you, need a, you need a Republican co-author on the bill. I mm-hmm. said, fine. And he said, uh, you got anybody in mind? And I said, well, uh, how about Bob Garden? And uh, Bob was like, he was the liberal in the Republican caucus at right. this point. He changed around a little bit after that, but and Eldon Lundquist said, to us, "Can you think of somebody else?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was pretty quick. I said, "Well, okay. How about Joe Harrison? You know, he lives in my area." And he said, "Oh, that's fine. That's good. Joe's all right." They trusted Joe. They didn't trust Bob. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bob was for the ERA, and he was for other stuff at that point. Uh, yeah. And then he became, of course, after the Republicans had some scandals. Uh, where a couple people went to jail. Yeah. Uh, he became pro town and then he lasted for 20 years. Right, right, yeah. Um, you talk about other bills. Uh, ERA vote, I remember that. That was pretty intense on the floor. Yeah, okay. I know, I know uh, Rosalind Carter had to call Wayne Townsend, I remember, to, uh, to, to ask for his support. I don't know whether Wayne was going to vote against it or not. He sort of sort of hinted that Rosal ought to do this, and so she did. Uh, so that passed. I was twenty six, twenty four in the Senate, very close. Yeah, yeah. Close vote. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the night I mentioned the seventy three property tax uh, was a you know freeze on how much on the on the dollars. And by nineteen seventy eight, uh, Governor Bowen. Uh, this had run its course, and they needed to change that amount freeze to a rate freeze. So it's interesting that it was the Republicans that uh, and Bowen that uh, said this: that our, my, my property tax bill isn't working. <laughs> okay, <laughs> needs to be changed. And uh, we had the majority, so the bill had to pass uh, pass the Democrat Senate. And I remember we just had an all-out fight in our caucus about whether we were going to support this change. And we had people that. Uh, you know, we had two or three large farmers. I mean, Woodrow Wilson uh, and uh, Wayne Townsend, I think it was somebody else that was uh, farmed, that absolutely did not want to change this. Uh, to uh, And the, the Republicans did kind of a neat thing in the House. They included a bill uh, that was going through to create new courts in the state. And uh, they threw that in with the property tax bill, and that put about two or three of our members in a real quandary. Tom Teagan, who was our majority leader, from Anderson, and he had a new court in uh, in Madison County that he, he had wanted to get for like five years, and they stuck that bill right in there with it, so he had to vote for one or against the other. <laughs> and, 
And uh, I remember the vote in our caucus was 15 to 13. Uh, you know, in our caucus. Uh, right. To, uh, to go ahead and put the bill up. There was enough Republican votes to go along with Bowen that anything we put up was going was to pass uh, probably with half of our votes and half of theirs. But uh, So we passed that bill. That, that was... Uh, that had a huge impact, uh, you know, on the whole property taxes. Because now, the, now, in effect, it was the, the property tax bill. The freeze was broken. I mean, once you went to a rate freeze, uh, right, right. You know, you you got a lot more money from that. And uh, then, give uh, me to go along with some of the ones that I thought were. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have some other questions later. So yeah, keep going. Yeah. yeah. I'll just pick a couple of them. In 1982, uh, well, being on the budget committee and also with Stan Jones uh, and Marilyn Schultz was his assistant there on the, on the budget committee. Uh, we had been saying, and particularly they had gone around the state with a program of saying, you know, that, that the state's in miserable shape, you know, financially. It's all going to fall apart. Da, 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 da. I don't know whether anybody listened to it, but the reality is it was true. And uh, are you there? Yeah. Okay. I, I just got a beep on this thing. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, so uh, I actually ran that year. I had probably my toughest race up to that point. I had a really good opponent. And uh, I, I ran on the need for a tax increase. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know how many people have ever done that in the history yeah. of the legislature, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, we're going to have we're going to have to raise sales or income taxes or both and this sort of thing. And uh, sure enough, uh, you know, three weeks after the election of, of them saying that oh everything's fine, uh, the governor called a special session for December, which was like three weeks away, uh, to raise taxes, and uh, it basically was the largest, I think probably the largest net tax increase that we've ever passed in the state. Wow. Uh, I say I say net because uh, like the one they passed uh, about 10 years ago, which uh, moved uh, almost all of the funding of the operations of schools to the state, uh, that included a sales tax increase along with the reduction or I mean there was a reduction in property taxes to go along with them sure sales tax. so there was, I really wasn't a huge tax increase at all but this one was just a route right we need more money and raise the income tax raise the sales tax rates <laughs> yeah I, and I think it raised like 450 500 million dollars which maybe again doesn't sound like a lot today but multiply that by about three to get a three or four to get an idea of what it would like in 1982 yeah uh, which was almost you know, 38 years ago. And uh, I think it was probably the largest. And uh, it, it left me in an interesting position. I was the only Democrat. I heard about this from a few people. Well, the only Democrat in the legislature, either either house to vote for. Wow. <laughs> which was, I don't think you get away with that stuff today either. <laughs> I kind of cleared my path by telling everybody, Way before it ever passed, uh, way before the Democrats in the House voted against everything uh, that I needed to vote for, it. so I had it cleared with my leadership and everything like this that I was going to do it because there wasn't any any reason to think that this was going to be just a Republican right uh, thing. Anyway, that was a. Uh, uh, I have an interesting anecdote. 
about uh, a couple of the Republicans involved because uh, Pat, the uh, legislator that was a chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Bill Long, had just been defeated okay. uh, by Sheila Klinker, and uh, who we had recruited, Stan and I had recruited to run, and uh, she won, and uh, it was just kind of a surprise because Bill was like, he was a big deal in the, uh, I mean, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, and um, but uh, Pat Kiley had just come in. Uh, and I think he was in his second year, and he he became chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. All of a sudden, and he became the, the leader of the of the tax bill. I mean, he has he was the one that had to steer it through the House and, and all that. And the, the chairman of the, the Senate Finance Committee was Larry Borst. Uh, I'm sure you've heard both these names yeah. before. And uh, but so so anyway, they they passed they passed it uh, with in large increases in, in taxes. And uh, later on, fast forward, uh, you know, 15 or 20 years, uh, when I went to work in the governor's office, uh, a guy that I had roomed with uh, for several years, Bill Alexa, uh, who's now a judge up in Porter County, uh, we, we uh, bought a house together, our wives and us bought a house together in uh, on New Jersey, there on the old north side. Yeah, okay. And so uh, I lived there for about five years with Bill and we had to have some parties and uh, we became uh, uh, one of the social gatherings during this and we had a lot of people over and anyway we <laughs> somewhere around year 2000 maybe in the late 90s uh, 99 or so we, we uh, had a party and had uh, Larry Morris and Pat Kiley were both there and they literally almost uh, they got into an argument about who was who was most responsible for the tax increase bill like you know, both came, both claiming credit. You know, as, okay. <laughs> as, as Kylie Kyle was saying, you know, I did this and this, and Boris said, "Yeah, we you know." It's I mean, it's like here I'm listening to two Republicans, you know, arguing about who deserves the most credit for the largest tax increase <laughs> in Indiana's history. And, oh know, my god! Just just going to show that ego tr- triumphs over everything. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's wild. <laughs> I want to be known as the as the yeah. number one number one child abuser in Indiana type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my uh, gosh. It was, that was that was kind of funny, and uh, the uh, another another bill, the A plus program, was a pretty big deal in my life. Uh, Governor Orr came in and wanted education reform, and this is where ISTEP and merit pay and increased taxes and all that kind of came together in one bill. And uh, I was the lead person on the Senate Democrat side for uh, before the bill. Uh, they made me a uh, second sponsor. I think Morris Mills was the first. And it probably was the hardest bill I ever worked on because our caucus, the Democrats in the Senate, probably were more educational-oriented than probably any of the four caucuses. We just had people with huge amount of interest. I, I, I would have a meeting, you know, with members of our, our caucus who were interested in the A-plus program after session or something like this. We'd have 10 or 11, 12 people there. I mean, it was more than half our caucus. Wow. And that, ne- that never happens. I mean, legislators get busy and they want to go talk to a constituent or they want to do this or that or after a session, you know, they want to go go out and lobby us <laughs> right, right. and uh, like to actually have people come for an hour, an hour and a half and fight 
over ISTEP and merit pay and all these kinds of issues that were in this bill. And, and it seemed like every time we had a vote, it was like six to five, six okay. to four, five to five. You know, it's just like, yeah, it, close, was yeah. it was terrible because, you know, you, we just, we had, we had a lot of ex-teachers or, or teachers. We had others that just had a real interest in this area. And so, you know, I just, it seems like I just get worked over by everybody every time we met. Uh, but, you know, it eventually passed. And I think there's a lot of people, yeah, I mean, ISTEP and all that stuff lives today. I think merit pay has gone by the wayside to some extent, but uh, the whole voucher idea and this sort of thing came out of a lot of this kind of stuff, and uh, charter schools came out of a lot of out of that bill. I think what people maybe forget sometimes when they talk about this is that one of the big parts of the bill that attracted people in, in our caucus was a tax increase was in the bill. And so the, you know, the, the thing that... Uh, we were going to have a really bad year for, for funding public schools, and uh, and this was uh, would have been helpful. It meant the difference between whether schools got a decent increase or whether they didn't get anything practically. And I know that brought in several votes that you know that put aside their philosophical issues on other things and said uh, we want the money. Right. Uh, so anyway, I, I remember boy when that bill passed, I felt like I been totally drained. It passed in the uh, on last night, either last night of the legislature, or maybe it was a special session, I can't remember. But, uh, man, I remember it was 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, we were still working out, you know, what this looked like. On the, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, that was the thing. We, we used to have these, we used to have these all-nighters on, I mean, the last night for the budget, because I was always the point person for the Democrats on the budget. I mean, Early on, you had to follow the bills down. Not you know, today. We have uh, they got they got to the point where they had a system with computers where you, where everything could be immediately changed. But if you wanted to change a budget bill, you had to go to the printer and take that change down to the printer. The budget agency was in charge of all that, and so you you always wanted to make sure it came back the way you agreed to it. <laughs> yeah, you better be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there were there. I'll tell you, there were a lot of things changed after they were passed. Uh, you know, way back when, uh, where they went to the printer's office and some numbers got changed and this sort of thing. That uh, you know, you did have to find somebody that was a budget agency director or something like this back in the back in the seventies or or eighties to get right. much of a handle on that. But there were a lot of things that that uh, looked different from the time they left to the. Left the, left the state house to go to the printers at the time they came back from the printers in the final form. Uh, I would I would uh, I would say the worst worst legislation probably ever passed. With Indiana followed suit with most states in the country and uh, and uh, had uh, huge increases in some sentencing requirements for prisons. Okay. Or, and uh, yeah, you know we. You're familiar probably with Willie Horton. Uh, yeah, a little bit. And uh, the 1988 campaign with H.W. Bush and Dukakis. Right. And uh, Dukakis got sort of trapped in that situation. But uh, the Willie Horton ads, uh, but we had one of our own Willie Hortons. I remember, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he had been on some sort of a, of a early release program or uh uh, some sort of a leave program, and he caught up the north. I think it was Michigan City, 
and killed a couple, two or three people. And, wow. Uh, and I remember by I mean, he literally shut down all the programs. Uh, it was just too politically hot, you know, to, to have lead programs and early release and that sort of thing. And it did pretty well. Uh, I mean, I, I think that Willie Hort commercial that, uh, that Bush did, I, I, I don't know how many hundreds of billions of dollars got spent on prisons <laughs> because of that. I mean, uh, right. Uh, you know, I, we, we never, I don't think it'd be anybody really does now. Nobody really had any idea what to do as far as, uh, how do you deal with, uh, with prisoners and other than longer sentences, you know, when you had crime, I mean, there's all kinds of ideas of prison reformers and they all cost a lot of money. Yeah. And I don't think legislators in general knew, knew how to do deal with it. But the one thing everybody knew how to do was build prisons. And, uh, that was easy. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't easy from the standpoint of raising the money to build them, but, uh, it's easy to build a prison. It's not easy to figure out how to have somebody come out of prison better shape than they went in. But, right. So anyway, we, we jumped on that bandwagon. I've always been kind of sorry. I didn't, uh, pay more attention to that, I guess, because it's really, really been damaging. I think over the last generation, going back to early early years I don't know why I thought of this uh, when I first arrived in the legislature there was kind of a Republican club and a Democrat club the Republicans tended to gather at the Columbia Club and the Democrats uh, at the Athletic Club Okay. and uh, I know there were people kind of hung out uh, Bob Ferrer I know had a suite uh, O'Bannon was involved with all this. Uh, Bob Kovach uh, room with them later when he came in. Uh, a guy named Jimmy Plaskett uh, hung out there, uh, and a lot of other others. You know, kind of gathered in the athletic club, and I think they had the same kind of deal. Uh, maybe not exactly the same, but with the Columbia Club with the Republicans. Uh, I'd say a lot. A lot of things changed around the 1980 election time. I think. Uh, right. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know whether that was. So I mean, people began to talk about uh, way before we got into the era of the last decade or so. Uh, began to talk about lack of civility. Yeah. Okay. It became sort of a. Uh, so you had a sort of a new breed of legislators that were that uh, that were involved in a lot of the issues, uh, particularly the cultural side. I think probably a lot less gradually. Uh, fraternizing between the people in different political parties so they had much more in your own group uh, and it, but I think it was gradual you know it didn't, didn't just happen overnight yeah 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 I've heard a lot of uh, former legislators talk about that that seems to be pretty common uh, from both parties even about how things have become much more politically intense um. Yeah, I mean, I, I left. I left the legislature in 1998 and left the governor's office in 2003. So I'm, I'm not. I don't know a whole lot about what's going on since 2003. Right. So, though I assume it hasn't gotten any better from that standpoint. Yeah. Again, that, yeah. Indiana's so much different because Indiana became so one-sided, you know. Yeah. And. Uh, politics, you know, that, I mean, it was pretty competitive back, even when we were in the minority, we'd have 22, 23. Right, right. Uh, so, 
I mean, and it, and it, it makes a difference from the standpoint of because even though you don't have the power to do a lot of things, the other side thinks you might have the next time. Yeah. That's and so, true. but now, now it's like you know, Republicans in the Senate. I mean, got, there's no chance the Democrats would ever, ever. Are you, do you want me to say anything about what I think is kind of like the uh, the demise of a of a uh, <laughs> of a party? In the yeah, I I would be interested. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I can see it from my, my standpoint. I, I I you know we were we were in the majority in. We lost uh, seventy eight was a kind of a disastrous election, right? Uh, nationwide, I mean, probably one of the worst Democratic. And then coupled with uh, nineteen eighty, you had two elections in a row, which uh, not only dealt with Republican reapportionment, but uh, but anyway, we had Democrats kind of gained back in the Senate. We had a really good group of people and people that could hold seats that were in Republican areas and. Uh, we called back up to where we were 26-24 on two different occasions and couldn't, you know, and one time we only needed one seat because we had the governor's race. But then I think the uh, the 91 reapportionment cost us a couple seats. I know Tony Maidenberg lost probably largely because of that. I've been mad. It seemed like somebody else did too. So we dropped from 24 down to 22, and then 94 became... That was a terrible year for Democrats. I was the only one, I think, among my class that uh, survived. Okay. Uh, wow. Uh, anyway, uh, at that point, you could just see people bail uh, around 1990, 91. Uh, I know uh, Doug Hunt just simply got tired and went into business. He represented an area, South Bend area. So made Tony Maidenberg lost because of reapportionment. He was good. Uh, we had several others that were really, really sharp, and uh, basically they decided I'm a, I'm not going to be in the minority. I'm going to go make money. <laughs> I'm going to go do something else. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and just like one by one, and then we uh, when O'Bannon became in uh, to be governor, uh, immediately Bill Bill McCarty headed for the Public Service Commission's office. Uh, chairman, and uh, you know, just right, just like one by one by one, but districts we never could win back, you know, because uh, once we lost those, and then all of a sudden you're down to instead of 24, you're down to 22, and then you're down to 20, and then people say this is hopeless, and so the two or three really good people you've got left go, and uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's, then all of a sudden it really is hard to recruit candidates because you know you don't have anything to offer them. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know you're not going to be in the, yeah you're not going to be in the majority. You can make something up, <laughs> but uh, you know people are pretty smart about those kinds of things. And uh, and gradually it's just like you know nobody cares. And then your leadership, um, you tend to get in arguments about uh, well you can't take another staff. We need we need we need another staff member, and that becomes a big big thing, you know, or something right. pretty petty. Um, and uh, you know, you just got nothing. And also, at the Senate side, uh, people, the lobbyists, and all the people that would give money for a while. I don't think this is even true in the House now. But you know, in the House, you got a chance every time to improve substantially, anyway, because they're all up for election. But in the Senate, that's not true. You only got, you know, 
you know, if, if you've only got 17 seats and there's only three that you could possibly win, everybody knows the best you can do is 20. So yeah, uh, yeah, you're, you're not even in the house. At least you've got 100 seats uh, that are up every time. So all the money then flows to the house, uh, and uh, and so you see, just I mean, all of a sudden and nobody. And then it didn't. Yeah, what are they now? Nine or something like that. Yeah, uh, it's yeah something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and nobody cares. I mean, it just seems like. I don't say nobody cares, I mean, but yeah, it's such, it's such a long road back. And right, to, right. How do you how do you do it? Why would you? Yeah, yeah, we could be you know we could be in the majority by two thousand twenty nine. Yeah, I mean it's it is interesting to think about because yeah. so I mean to you is it does it seem like what happened was is that the state of Indiana became you know more conservative over time and that made it really hard for Democrats to get elected. And then it got to a point where Democrats just kind of, who were interested in sort of staying, um, just kind of lost interest and, and people just feel like, well, it's, we're so far behind, it's too hard to even play catch up. Yeah, I think it's all of the above. Yeah. I would, you talk about, the, 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 people always ask me what I, what I considered myself you know, liberal, conservative, all that sort of thing. Right. And since I, I can't even tell you today what those terms mean, I don't think anybody else can either. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, morphed quite a bit. <laughs> everybody uses them. I mean, I, I, I mean, everybody is bought into this. You're, you're a liberal or a conservative. Yeah, yeah. Without, I mean, even I watch public, public television. You know, and uh, shoot, they even do that. I mean, they don't even make a distinction. They're like, what, what? I'm saying, what are you talking about? Right. But I was, yeah. I said to people that I. I was a, when I was elected, I was a moderate. And I moved to the right and became a liberal. So, yeah. Um, yeah, because I think the state moved that way faster than I did. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, there is one thing about uh, being on the budget committee. When you work with numbers, uh, there is a, uh, a leveling. I mean, I mean, there's a, a coming together. People, when they see the same numbers, they tend to become to think the same way. I found myself doing that, like, you know, sort of what would be considered liberal programs that I actually saw at work. I'd say, oh, my God, why are we spending money on this or something? So, yeah. Or, or vice versa, you know. you, you uh, But uh, that's the problem with some knowledge, you know. You're, 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 you know, like, uh, like I think it was... Uh, Roger Brannigan always equipped that, uh, you know, another great story uh, ruined by an eyewitness. Instead. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, let's say, uh, <clears throat> trying to think of anything else that would be, I don't know, any, any particular you want to. Yeah, so I got, I have a few more questions for you. Um, sure. So you, you covered a lot of stuff, so this be, might jump around a little bit here, but just some sort of gaps I, I wanted to clarify, perhaps. Um, what was your first uh, election day like, you know, knowing that you were officially going to be part of the Indiana General Assembly? Uh, I think I remember, I, particularly I look back and I look at pictures of myself in the, in the paper and this sort of thing that they took. I mean, I was really excited. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, Young kids were all there, and uh, you know everybody was everybody was really really happy. Uh, you know, it was a, it, 
you know, running, at least the way we did it, is a, is a huge involvement of a lot of people. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody does these things by themselves. You know, you, you uh, I mean, the ability to organize volunteers and to organize fundraising and do all these kinds of things. And candidates themselves did, <laughs> did most. Right, most right. Back then, the, you know, these campaigns, uh, I don't know what they're like today, to tell you the truth. And uh, uh, But, boy, we did a... You know, I had I had a representative in every every department at Purdue. Uh, yeah. Like to to be the tr- the point person in that department, like there were about fifty of them, and we got like you know not just engineering, but like all nine engineering schools. You know, I had a person, a deputy at each one, and I mean it was a huge job. Sure. And I, sure. Uh, you know. Um. And did you have any change in your feelings uh, after being like reelected again and again? Um, you know, I think uh, maybe I'm sorry. I'm sure it became a little less exciting. The election I had uh, the first time in '78. Again, I won pretty easily, but it was a uh, it was a bad year, and, and uh, voting was way down on both sides. Yeah. And then 82 was a really big one. 82 and 90 were the two big ones I had. In, 90, in the 82, I was running against a, 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 also a West Lafayette guy who was a star on the basketball team and went to Dartmouth and oh, came, okay. back and, came back and was in, uh, joined one of the uh, the bigger law firms in town and uh, really had a lot of people that knew him. Right. So having, having you know, you know, everybody leads. You know, I won by as much that time as anybody really worked at it. Uh, and it was the first time I ever had uh, sort of an in, uh, uh, an election that got, you know, into the cultural kinds of things. Uh, I mean, he ran a a slogan to put a Christian in the in the in the state house, and uh, that was the first time I ever kind of ran into that. It's like, well, I'm not really religious. <laughs> so yeah. None of the steps, but. Ever, uh, and uh, but boy, I'll tell you what, I must have had uh, 25 people that in West Lafayette that were Jewish, uh, you know, have a check in the mail the following week. Okay, yeah, I mean, it was, and it was the first time I ever sort of got in that this is the God Squad election type, right? Type of thing. I think it was a big mistake on his part for the district I had, the people weren't quite ready for that at that point in time, but. Uh, and in 1990, I ran against the uh, the Tippecanoe County prosecutor, uh, and uh, he had you know a lot of support, a lot of resources, and it was a lot tougher campaign. I say we, that was probably the most expensive campaign in Indiana. I think we both spent about 150 thousand dollars. Right. Which for ni- for 1990 was I don't know what you'd have to multiply that today. Probably a million. You know. <laughs> sure. Have, sure. Uh, that's one of the reasons I, I kind of had always had a feel for how much it takes to do the things you need to do. And I look, I look at some of these things like some of these U.S. Senate campaigns where they're, you know, that this thing in Georgia where each side probably has, you know, what, $300 million or something like this. I mean, like how in the world do you even remotely spend that kind of money in a state, in one state? I mean, you don't have to be on just every TV station. You got to be on every TV station, you know, you know, twenty times an hour to spend right. the kind of money they've got. 
it's certain about it's just huge overkill. Oh yeah. Oh you yeah. Can't, you can't possibly spend money money that way. Yeah. Um, but anyway. That's true. So, now, uh, yeah, did uh, your campaign strategies change over time? Uh, yeah, I think media became, you know, a, a more important thing. I mean, uh, uh, how you raise money, I always raised most of my money or about all of it in my districts, and that became unheard of after a while, and even in the in, in the like in the fifty thousand dollars I raised in nineteen eighty two, probably seventy percent of it, seventy five percent of it came out of my district. Okay. In nineteen ninety, uh, just eight years later, when we spent one hundred fifty thousand, three times as much, uh, I think I raised about maybe half of it from the county, but the rest of it began to come from outside. It became. You know, it's the traditional Democratic. You know, it's from the caucus, which which is always a kind of joke because the caucus gets it from the same place that you get it from. Right. Um, which would be, I don't know, the teachers' organizations, labor organizations, uh, trial lawyers, you know, the typical Democrat groups. Um, so, I mean, so I, even there I was probably, so then I, at that point I was probably only raised half of it locally. And, but, but others... I mean, others that were successful, and I, I, I know some of the people I hung around with, um, I mean, they were raising, I mean, they were maybe spending, you know, $100,000, and they were raising 10 of it locally, you know, and they, they, they were becoming totally dependent, not almost totally dependent uh, yeah. on outside on outside forces. And, uh, I think that's probably true of everybody at this point. I don't know. I, don't, I suppose there's somebody that's rich enough to that they're willing to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on their own campaign, but, you know, nobody did it. Yeah. The time I was there. Sure. So, I don't think that's a very positive thing, but I, there, there is a, you know, there, if you can raise money from your district, I mean, there's a huge advantage. I mean, everybody that gives you, you know, if, you, if people will give you $10 to come to a barbecue, uh, they'll also put a yard sign in your yard, and they'll also may have a coffee for you. They've also you know, do a lot of other things. Right. And so, so if you know, all of a sudden you've got, you know, in a Senate district, if you've got two thousand people that, you know, pay ten bucks, I mean, it's worth its weight in gold. Yeah. You certainly you, you, nobody thinks that way in a congressional race or a U.S. Senate race. I mean that, but no, I don't, so I don't know whether there's still a local thing like that going on, but it was certainly becoming less and less. So. Sure. But let me mention that, just, what I just thought of it. Uh, yeah. I think maybe one of the, the biggest single changes that uh, I don't know whether people would talk about too much, and that is bef- just before I was uh, elected, I think in the late 60s, like 67, 68, 69, somewhere there, the, the legislature passed a bill uh which set up the legislative services agency. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And and I think that this was the first time that the legislators actually had their own group of people working on their legislation. Before that, it probably just came from lobbyists. Yeah. Or uh, it came from, uh, you know, the governor's office. Right. And so that was a huge change uh, because right along with the... Uh, 
the legislative services staffing, you also began to have the uh, individual caucuses hiring their own uh, staff. Uh, you know, particularly in the in the uh, tax and budget areas and this sort of thing, where you know you had a a lot more complicated type of thing, but also other people. And so, when I got there, I mean, this was well underway, but it's still it's kind of infancy, but that uh, that you began to have this, uh, and I, I I just think this was enormous. I mean, when I when I but. Now, I had my own person uh, with regard to, uh, I mean, the person worked for the caucus, but te- technically, but for me, primarily because on the budget and tax stuff, well, we had our own person, and uh, we could hire our own person. And, and, and I can't imagine what it would have been, you know, eight years before I got there when there was none of this. I mean, other than it was in every other year legislator, that legislature at that point. But Yeah. Uh, Man, that I mean, the changes that uh, that that meant to have your own group. Oh yeah, be able to, sure. Be able to get your own data and this sort of thing, not be totally dependent upon, uh, you know. But uh, what Duke Energy says about you know energy, on this right? Or, yeah, or, uh, you know that type of thing. Uh, I, I I can't even imagine all the differences it did make, but it but it certainly did. Uh, I think change it uh, the way things work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That makes sense to me. Um, how did you know the needs and wants of your constituents? Um, you know, everybody kind of asks that question, you know, is it, what's more important, you know, that, they, that you're representing your constituents or doing what you think is best, you know, type of thing. Right, right. Um, it's, it's both. I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, you, you, you do get some, I, I would say the, the more technical the issue is um, probably the less you're going to hear from anybody. Yeah. I mean, everybody has an opinion about education. Uh, right. So, you know, everybody has, a, uh, you know, an opinion on uh, abortion, you know, or something like that. Sure. And, but, you know, how many people can really talk or know very much about, you know, phosphates in a water uh, or, you know, Something a little more complex than that, even right. like when we deregulated the uh, telecommunications industry in the mid '90s. I mean, I tried to get a handle on some of that, and it was just God dang, that stuff was tough. I mean, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I I found out I found a couple of people over at Purdue. I asked the uh, the representative from Purdue to the legislature if he could put me in touch with anybody. I went and spent about three hours with. A guy one afternoon, and he went through all the all the changes. And I tried to get him, well, who benefits? You know, does AT and T win here, or does Ameritech win, or does right, right? How about Sprint? No, you know, all these others. It's like, and the best I could tell, you, you know, you can listen to the to the groups, um, but you know that all they the bottom line was what they were interested in. And it was a huge thing. I mean, it's just like enormous, and the, and the implications were huge. I'm not sure I ever did get much of a grasp on on all that, except I came to the conclusion that it's all about the money. You know, it didn't have much to do with anything else, as far as they were concerned. Sure. Uh, but it was that stuff's really hard. And how much how much your constituents can influence you on things like that, which are 
are just, you know, like only just a handful of people in the state even really can understand. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, I, I'm not sure. Now, you know, I suppose if you had the, if you had a constituency that was, uh, you know, thought, uh, you know, the right to own any, any weapon you could have, including, uh, you know, you know, rockets or something like this and walk down Main Street with them. But if 90% of the people favored that, maybe that would influence your position and you, or, or maybe it would, then you'd go against it and just make yourself a one-term legislator. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that type of thing. But those are the kinds of things that a lot of people have opinions on and it's just like, uh, so do legislators. And so, you know, like when I ran the first time, you know, I, I ran as a supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I wasn't about to change my opinion. If I suppose if I had taken a, a worthwhile poll, if that could have been done, and found that the majority of my constituents were against it, I, that wouldn't have made any difference to me. Right. I mean, I'd, I'd run on it. So you know, beat me the next time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Those, those are. No, that that makes I, sense. I, yeah. I don't. I mean, I suppose there are some some people that are so. You know, so. Uh, have the feeling that they know so much about the issue that they don't care what their constituents say. I don't know. That would be interesting, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's too many people like that. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, I, I don't think you listen to every... You know, if some group comes to see you and they're all supportive of something, uh, I think you got to be well aware that, you know, they represent still a pretty small number of people. Right. I know, I know on Beer Baron, you know, uh, legislation... I, we had a Budweiser, uh, Anheuser-Busch uh, plant here in town, and I don't know, they had 300 employees or something like this, and I got index cards, postcards from them, got, you know, vote against such and such and such and such, and I actually sent a letter back to every one of them and said, you know, could you give me some specifics about, you know, exactly why you're opposed to this bill or you're for it. I can't remember which one it was. I didn't hear from a single person. <laughs> wow. And, you know, and you know what happened. Somebody just went down the, down the line and got signatures and put a stamp on it and sent it in. They didn't know what they were signing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you got to be aware of those kinds of things, too. That's not like anybody really cared. Sure. Do you remember the first bill that you ever sponsored? Well, the first bill, like I said, back in that 75 session, uh, when uh, Lundquist, the chairman, said, you know, do you want anything? That bill passed uh, mm-hmm. in the in the legislature and, uh, you know, set up, the, I think we eventually had 11 or 12 of these uh, service centers around the state. Uh, so that was in my first session. Although I, I didn't get too 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 involved, I say I was I was a second sponsor on the A plus bill that went through Governor uh, Hoare. But I we I, I really kind of turned toward budget and finance and and the budget committee kinds of stuff and uh, really stayed away from legislation pretty much. I, I didn't number of bills you had I think were pretty irrelevant. Most of the people okay. I know. That most people I know that are on a lot of bills are pretty minor players. <laughs> Just like, you know, being on the budget conference committee, you know, every year uh, for 20 years was a much bigger deal, I think, than any bill I could have been on. But, you know, I, I, Joe Harrison, I went with Joe Harrison on the bill that set, that, um, set up the uh, 
Subaru plant here in town. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, which was a big economic development thing in the, in the late 80s. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember some of the bills. I, I, I know I was on a bunch. Of sure, stuff. sure. Uh, but most of it, most of the stuff I was on had to do with budget. Taxes. Yeah. And, and there's not too many of those those types of things. I mean, you mean the budget bill is huge. I mean, by far the biggest thing we do. Right, right. Uh, uh, what differences, if any, were there between members of the House and Senate? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I... You know the house, the house and the senate are about a hundred feet apart, but they could just as easily yeah. be a hundred miles. Uh, because you can go through a whole session, probably never talk to a house member, right, <laughs> right, or vice versa. I mean, and, and the only people that really have a lot of contact with the people that did have probably a lot of legislation that had, to, you know, after it got through their house, had to walk over to the other and defend it, you know, in, in a committee meeting. Yeah, but he, but even there, you know, a lot of times you pick if you put good good sponsors on the other side. Yeah, a lot of people didn't even bother to show up for some of that. Uh, and uh, the uh, the budget committee, uh, the bu- budget committee always gave you a uh, contact with the House members and the budget uh, uh, conference committee at the end of the session. So, you know, we had members of both houses that were together on that. But sure, uh, and uh, there are there are people that really get involved. A lot of times, the committee chairman. Like judiciary or something like this, uh, government affairs. They'll I mean they'll the chairman will take the main stuff, right? Uh, of those committees. Um, I know. I know. When I was in the governor's office, you know, we <laughs> we had, it was a Democratic administration, and we had uh, part of the time we had a House that was Democrat, but a, but a Republican Senate, uh, and uh, trying to we you know we we have our picks. I mean, like. You know, Luke Kinley might have been a person. He's one of our go-to guys, a Teresa Lovers, you know, for education stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd have these three or four people, that, but you just kind of pound them, go back a time and time again and say, will you cover, carry this stuff for the government? Right. Uh, you know, in, in the Senate. And made the main reason, we, we always need somebody, is this person capable of understanding this thing that became, a, became an issue? Uh, not to say that every legislator isn't brilliant, but every legislator isn't brilliant. Yeah, no, I understand probably, that. Probably shouldn't say that. Did you have a, a sense of how people would vote prior to actually voting on a bill? You better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did have uh, one of the... Uh, do you have time for just a, a irrelevant? Oh yeah! Of, oh yeah! Go for it! Oh yeah! No problem. Back in uh, uh, my second, I think it was seventy-seven, and we were in the majority. There were a couple guys at Purdue who were in meteorology. meteorology okay. And they uh, over at Purdue, and and they what they wanted to do was they wanted to get some good research and data about the effectiveness of cloud, of cloud seeding to make rain. Uh, this involves planes going up and seeding clouds with silver iodide crystals. And the idea is, you know, 
you know, if you can make it rain in a certain place, you know, it's a big deal for agriculture. Uh, so anyway, I had this bill, but it basically said that uh, you had to, if you were going to, if you were going to cloud seed, you had to uh, get a get a permit. You had to, you know, tell people where you were going to do it, and this sort of thing. Other than that, the you know, the research would have been not worth anything. Right. Uh, so this is. I thought, okay, sure, I'll introduce it. So I did. And this was in 77, 77 or 78. And anyway, we had two huge snowstorms both years. I mean, to kind of shut down the legislature and everything else type. I mean, it was huge. And they were the blizzards of 78, the blizzards of 77. You can probably read about that. <laughs> and I remember we could... Uh, I was over, I remember I was over in the, over the hotel, the Omni, I guess, and looking out the window and up and down Meridian Street and up and down, uh, you know, Capitol Avenue and this sort of thing. You, you know, I mean, you no one car in sight for miles. So you know, yeah. Nothing there. And so they, but they went ahead with a committee meeting on this bill. And, uh, and at least two or three of them, three or four of the members weren't there, but it had a quorum, and it passed six to it passed four to two out of committee. I think it was just barely, and nobody nobody was enthusiastic about it. Sure. And uh, this was unfortunate because then it went to the floor, and uh, God, people jumped up and you know what in the world is this and this sort of thing and. You know, I think Bob Garden was famous for his remark that, you know, we need this like a hog needs a wristwatch. And they just went down in flames. I mean, it was just like terrible. So anyway, I introduced the bill the next year with the support of the Farm Bureau. And I believe it passed 49 to nothing out of the the Senate. It's just like all it needed was the Farm Bureau to say, okay, this is all right. Right, right. We'll, We'll do it. It does show the power of the lobbyists. Oh, yeah. But anyway, anyway, I always associated that with, like, you know, the only reason I got it out of committee was because of the blizzard of 78 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. I always wish that hadn't happened. You know, but, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but talking talk about, you know, this sounds like the simplest bill in the world, but why some of these things do need committee hearings and all this sort of, like, I mean, this, this, gets, this gets into riparian rights. I mean, it's the same kinds of issue you deal with out in Colorado with the with the Missouri River or something, you know. That right. If you dam it here, you're not going to get this and water rights and all those sorts of things. Because you know, if you can if you can send a plane up in western Illinois and see clouds and it rains on Champaign, but it doesn't rain in Indiana, you know, you're you're making it rain in, in Illinois and denying Indiana water. Uh, and, and you don't think about those kinds of things when you think about what's well, this little research project, <laughs> right? Right. Sure. You do this, but man, it gets into all those kinds of issues, and uh, some of this stuff really gets complex, even though you just didn't even think about it at the time. But anyway, it passed the next year, and everybody was happy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe that convinced me. I didn't want, to, but didn't want to introduce a lot of legislation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now. During your time in the General Assembly, how influential would you say party leadership was at kind of dictating the agenda of things? And uh, very. Uh, I mean, I 
I think control of the floor, you know, for the majority party is, uh, yeah. is, I mean, the expectation I think was that, I mean, you could have fights in your caucus, uh, and, uh, but, but you always had to have an understanding if you didn't have the votes and you had to, uh, had to rely on the minority, the minority was going to extract the price. Okay. Yeah. I, I saw that. I saw that in the budget. I mean, I, I would have loved, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't have dreamed for a better situation than if the Republicans had only had, you know, 23 votes for the budget. Right. I mean, if they needed us for three votes, I mean, they could have been worth millions <laughs> to people in our caucus. Yeah. The stuff that they wanted in there. Uh, so, you know, it was really important, uh, that you had 26 votes if you were going to put something up if you were in the majority. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so I have a, I have a sympathy for some of that. Like, Congress gets boiled, bogged down, and can't do anything. And one of the reasons is why you know the Republicans adopted the what was it? The, they called it the guy from Illinois, the something rule, Castro rule, that you had to have the uh, you had to be able to pass the, the the bill out of your own caucus or you wouldn't put it up. Right. Well, I mean, you know, if you've got 230 votes, but you have to have 218, that means you can only have, you know, 12 people take a hike. And, uh, you know, you're not going to get much legislation that's really important. Yeah, yeah. If you if you need that kind of uh, overwhelming, because a lot of the stuff would have passed. But, you know, they could never get it done. You know, John Boehner finally quit, you know, and, you know, out of all that, he just couldn't handle the... You know, the fact that he had 70 Republicans that, in his caucus that literally were dictating the... Right. You know, what, what happened. And I, I always kind of wondered if, if, the, if the group that had put together the immigration reform legislation that passed the Senate with about 70 votes, but it was didn't get heard over in the House because Maynard didn't have the support to, to do it. Yeah. If that had passed, how our, how our lives might have been a little different if we could have figured out a way just to get it on the floor. Right. Pass it. Uh, you know, it might have changed a lot of the rhetoric and issues of the last few years. Sure. What would you say the public does not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? The public? Yeah. Uh, well, probably about everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's not like how a bill becomes a law. Uh, right, yeah. They uh, say there's one way to pass a bill, and there's a million ways to defeat it, but that's not true either. There's a lot of ways to pass a bill. Uh, but when I first came to the legislature, one of the things people do is they, they would, legislators would introduce uh, legislation that was just basically meaningless. And okay. the only reason that they would do it would be to have it amended in the second house, and then they could dissent on the on the uh, whatever change was made in the other house, and then send it to conference committee, and then you get four people in the conference committee that could write the bill any way they wanted on any topic. Now they changed that, and they said it had to be relevant to the content of the original legislation and all that sort of thing. But I could imagine that these people back that lived lived and worked there before I did, back in the 50s or 60s, this sort of thing. I mean, boy, if you had that down, if you had that bastard, you had <laughs> you, you always had two or three or four bills just sitting there, okay, what do I want to do with them? Uh, but, you know, that, that got changed. And so uh, right. we, we, uh, we did that. 
talk about uh, maybe a little bit about uh, you know working across party lines somewhat. I remember back in the first years I was in the in the House, one of the uh, one of the bills that always came around, it got controversial. In fact, I think there was even some FBI involved in, in, uh, in this, was uh, uh, movie theaters uh, about control that local movie theaters would have over the kinds of films they got and this sort of thing, or whether they, they just were dictated to. Anyway, there was a local, we had, we had a lobbyist group uh, for the local theater group and somebody, I can't remember her last name, uh, and uh, but this is always a hot topic. So there's a bill. I'm on a conference committee, and we're dealing with uh, with uh, with frost laws. And there was a bill that passed the House that said you could uh, uh, have any. It dealt with weights of trucks, and uh, and frost laws were you know had to do with with that. I can't, can't remember why, but. The count, that bill came from the House said that the, that the counties, individual counties, could regulate the weights of the trucks. Well, it came over, and, and Lester Ball and I were uh, on, a, on the conference committee from the Senate, and Bill Long and Stan Jones, perhaps a Republican Democrat, were in the House, and they both were in favor of this. And for the life of me, I can't remember why, but Les and I in the Senate were opposed to it. I thought it was crazy to have you know 92 different frost laws. Yeah. <laughs> Weight laws. Can't, trucks going from one county to the next. So anyway, we were at an impasse and uh, and somebody suggested, well, why don't we throw this theater bill in? Well, I mean, there was a reason this thing hadn't passed for 10 years. because just people were really, it was a big deal. And I remember, uh, you know, when we were discussing this and we were asking the staff to find it, I walked out of that committee and I ran into pro tem with the Senate at that point that says, are you guys doing this? And I said, yeah, we were, we were talking about it. And I bet it was one 10 minutes before I was off the committee. And, uh, wow. And uh, I, I know this, but I, well, I found out later that that's something that, you know, there was a, there had been investigations that had touched on this, uh, this, this item, but the pro tem <laughs> sure, sure knew him. that was Chip Edwards at the time. Wow. Yeah, that was I was out of there. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. We're, we're not we're not touching this thing. This got the other change. And I'm sorry, I never did find out exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. What was your uh, proudest moment as a legislator? Uh, let's see. I, maybe the A plus program, not because I was wild about everything that was in it, but uh, just getting it done. I mean, God, that was a huge hard hard thing for me. Yeah, uh, I think getting getting the uh, uh, we'd always want to get a state park built here, uh, and my personal involvement in uh, Prophetstown State Park, which was something I <clears throat> I would say I probably the last time I ran in nineteen ninety four, probably that was the main reason just to okay. try and get this thing done because it didn't really have any strong advocate in the legislature and those kinds of things tend to not get done if you don't have somebody being obnoxious. Yeah. And I was pretty obnoxious on making sure I was chairman of the, I was chairman of the state budget committee by that time and 
we had a Democratic administration. I know they got really tired of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, no, I, I even stayed with that after I got in the governor's office. Uh, I pretty much orchestrated a bill that allowed part of our local innkeepers tax to be designated to uh, uh, providing the money for a bond issue that would go to profit zone. Oh, okay. So, even after I left the legislature, I, I knew there wasn't going to be uh, enough of an appropriation and I got uh, I got that authority for the bond. The bond issue then provided another, I don't know, seven or eight million dollars, I think, for yeah. land, land acquisition and that sort of thing. And when, you know, once you got it to that point, uh, the people that didn't like the idea of building a state park there uh, couldn't do anything about it. You were right. going to buy $15 million worth of land and then not do it. So yeah. <laughs> got it done. So that was, that, I would say that, that probably in the, you know, and this was after I left the legislature and it was uh, actually uh, when we dedicated the park, uh, you know, and made an official thing. It's nice I go out there and walk around. It's got to be really nice. Yeah. Parks don't ever get done with developing, and they're still, you know, digging out a lake and uh, doing all those kinds of things. But it's got some beautiful trails if you like to walk trails up and down the Wabash and then around and up the Tippecanoe River for a couple, three miles. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, you've got a bunch of eagles and others, other things out there. So. I would say, you know, get the park done. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I went to the governor's office afterwards, kind of got to see the legislature from a different different side. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, worked on, I kind of, I kind of had the, the Senate as my job uh, with the contacts that I had there, and then I also worked on the, uh, Governor Obama's economic development legislation and was really involved in setting up what was called the 21st Century Research and Technology Fund. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, I was one of the two main point people on the uh, tobacco bill that went through, and I think it was around 1999, 2000, maybe. Okay. Tobacco, tobacco, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there was a... uh, 46 states sued the tobacco companies and won a huge settlement. Yeah. <clears throat> it was, you know, billions and billions of dollars total. But Indiana, and I checked it the other day, I think they, they still get $147 million a year for that fund. But, wow. But what it was, was, you know, all of a sudden, you know, this, you know, the, the 135 or $40 million drops on the state out of the blue. You know, it, and you know, when do you ever have a chance to uh, to to get a blank check? You know, and say, what do you want to do? And so, uh, you know, we I spent you know in the governor's office, we spent most of the fall before the legislative session uh, setting up meetings around the state. We had four or five uh, public gatherings in Indianapolis and Fort Wayne and Southern Indiana and Evansville and others, a couple others in smaller places. Uh, and uh, out of that, we came the uh, the tobacco cessation uh, 
bureau or an agency. Uh, I don't know whether it still exists today or not. Probably does. I don't think anybody ever repealed it. But anyway, 20, we gave them $25 million a year to work on tobacco cessation. There were a lot of other things. that We, we funded uh, community mental health centers, which are really important, I think, in the state. Uh, they they, they yeah. deal with a lot of people that don't have the money to have primary care physicians. And, uh, uh, there, were all, you know, there, were, there were several other things in the bill. But... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, you know, I kind of kind of working on that bill, then getting it through the legislature, pretty much the way we we drew it up. Now, the legislators involved will never agree to that because I can still remember Charlie Brown, who was the head of the health committee in the Senate, and Larry Boris, who had the bill in the in the uh, Senate. You know, congratulating each other. It's always like the governor's office never existed. <laughs> you know, yeah. The, and that, like, they were totally in charge, but essentially the, the, what we came up with in the governor's office almost passed, you know, 95% of it just passed the way it was. Right, right. And, and then the, the, each the House and the Senate threw in a couple of things that, uh, you know, I guess helped them pass it in, the, in there, but it was it was basically the, the governor's bill from pretty much start to finish. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so that was good. I mean, I, yeah. stuff we did for community health community uh, health centers, I think, is still still helps a lot around the state. Sure. I don't know how many there are right now, but there were a bunch in Indianapolis. We had one big one here in Lafayette. Um, I was I was sort of like the, the uh, goofy way out to the fringe uh, on uh, tobacco taxes. Yeah, I remember. I, remember I, used, I think one of the, I think somewhere back in about nineteen eighty or somewhere that as I came up with a, with a, fifty cent increase in the tobacco cigarette tax. Yeah, I remember. Maybe. I remember reading about that. I think it was nineteen eighty nine. Was it that late? Okay. Yeah, and I was anyway, yeah. No, I mean I I used to take a lot of a lot of um, stuff for that. So, what made you so... Now, now, now they bumped it up. I saw it at 99 cents a pack. It was like, oh, I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't ask for that much back in the... Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, getting a neck hole, neck hole was a big deal. I mean, I never... I, uh... <laughs> I, uh... How to put this? Back in the, uh... This was around the time we passed the lottery. That year... Maybe I was 89 or 91. I can't remember what it was. That set up the riverboats and, and all that. But before before we could have riverboats, you had to uh, get the Constitution changed okay. to allow for to allow for a lottery. Because as long as you didn't have a lottery, there was a question about whether riverboats could exist without that being taken out. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was around that time that. Uh, Times were tough in the legislature, and the governor, uh, by uh, he uh, he probably always always we needed money as we usually do, I guess. And Governor By, uh, to say the least, uh, didn't see his political career being furthered by tax increases. And so he was very hesitant, but he finally came to the conclusion that it was okay to pass a cigarette tax because his polls were showing just 
hardly anybody cared uh, about that. So he was willing to go with a 15 cent a pack cigarette tax, but it was only after he had to show other things failed because Mike Phillips, who was a, you know, he was a Southern Indiana guy and we had other people that were, you know, in people in Southern Indiana where there were tobacco farmers or at least had own quota, um, were very much opposed to this. And looks like it was leadership. So Southern Indiana Democrats, you know, had a lot of clout back in some of those days. They don't exist anymore, but, um, so, yeah, you know, anyway, um, I knew that this was going to happen. And I got called up, as did Pat Bauer and others, I think, about whether this was what the governor was going to propose. And I got asked pretty directly and not what I wanted to lie. I just basically didn't answer the question, uh, you know, about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And uh, it was Mary Dieter. <laughs> okay. I worked with her eventually in the governor's office. She was his press press person. Um, so anyway, I sort of half admitted that uh, yeah, that's what the governor was going to come with. I'll bet you know that that her article appeared in the paper the next morning, which was Sunday, I think it was. By Sunday, and she quoted me. Thanks, Mary. And it was like, I mean, about about noon on Sunday, I get this call from the governor's office. The governor wants to talk to you. And the first words I said. I said hello, and the first words I heard was, "You know what in the blank are you doing?" And he cuts in on this. You know, like, I'm sitting there listening to the governor just read me out for for this. Um, but anyway, that side issue. Yeah. Now, when it came to the cigarette tax and stuff, what what first got you interested in in raising like taxes on cigarettes and stuff? Um, boy. I don't know if it was any one thing. Okay, or is it just that you you know thought that cigarettes should go eventually, and you wanted to sort of make it harder for people to get access, or yeah, all of, all of the above. I mean, uh, yeah. it was pretty clear. It was pretty clear that the one thing about cigarette smoking that did work was price. Yeah, and uh, it, it and it maybe didn't mean that much to people that were totally addicted, but I think right. it really was was helpful with young kids. Yeah. Because the expendable income a lot of sixteen-year-olds had probably wasn't near as great as yeah as adults. True. Yeah. So getting people started was always uh, getting people to quit is a lot lot harder. Oh yeah, definitely. And it still is. I'm still amazed at how much the state raises in cigarette tax. I mean, it's like, who are these people? Because I sure don't see them. I mean, that at the very least, I think men have quit. I think there's a lot more women that smoke today. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Uh, the budget. Okay. Gotta have one. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and what made you want to leave the Indiana General Assembly, or what was the situation for that? Well, I said, I, I pretty much, after 90, I'd probably, I, I wasn't going to run again. And then okay. I, I was pretty sure in my mind that it, that, that Prophetstown wasn't going to happen if I left. Uh, I still yeah. think that's probably true. Okay. Uh, and because uh, it was just at the beginning, I think there had been one piece of property bought uh, by the 90, well, I don't know, 
can't remember exactly what the timetable. We just started the process, so it was still it was still defeatable uh, at right. that point. And uh, the ninety, the ninety five, ninety seven, ninety nine budgets all had money in it for profit sim. Yeah, and that kind of took it. I, I worked a lot with the Department of Natural Resources on <laughs> mapping out strategies, like you know. We can't buy it all in this one little point. We gotta get, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get the boundaries of the park, you know, in the park, so we can fill in the in between and the way we go about buying land. Yeah. Uh, uh, make it, make it, make it hard for people to ever kill it. Uh, we were building the White River Park at the same time. Oh, okay. That's, a, that's an issue. I don't know whether anybody's ever ever mentioned this to you and to the people you've talked to, but. You know, during the, almost the whole time I was in the legislature, there was always this uh, feeling that uh, by people outside of Indianapolis, that Indianapolis gets it all. You know, they get... Yeah, they do, I have heard that. Uh, from Ev- the Evansville area was notable for that. Some in Lake County, too, but yeah. Yeah, Lafayette was just close enough that we kind of considered ourselves sort of part of the Indianapolis area. So... What benefited Indianapolis was probably pretty good for tipping New County too, but yeah, uh, I do think you know I kind of ran into that with profits down. It was like you know we were we were spending tens of millions of dollars on the White River, which was 250 acres. And I got a park up here that's almost 3,000, and <laughs> I can't get I can't yeah. get even a fraction of what they're they're getting for this. And I finally concluded that that a lot of this was true, uh, sort of a Marion County bias and. Uh, it really had more to do with uh, with the governors uh, that that we had, uh, you know, and the administrations because these people, even the governors, uh, wound up living, you know, well, they did live in, in Indianapolis at the time they were governor. Yeah. But uh, you know, so they were here, and you know, I know Frank O'Bannon uh, when he was lieutenant governor bought a bought a house uh, downtown and and uh, lived here pretty much full time, even though he was. Yeah, represented Cord in that area, and they maintained a, a residence down there. Uh, but staff, I mean, uh, all the people that work on this from staff, you know, almost all of them live in Mary County. And yeah. so you're running into that, you know, uh, you know, I don't know anything about Prophetstown except it's up, you know, in Lafayette someplace, but I can walk out the door and I can see White River Park. Yeah. And I can, I can jog there on my lunch hour and I can, you know, do the does and all that. I mean, it really does, I think, cut for quite a bit. It's just the familiarity. Not right. to mention a lot, of, a lot of the business leaders that might associate with the governors and administrations live here in Marion County. The bankers live here in Marion County. The top businesses are in Marion County. So, yeah. As those people you associate with. Sure. So, uh, I, I, I don't know. I never, I never gave much credence to that whole thing until I started working on the profit sound thing. And I sort of saw it. It, went, it, was, it wasn't uh it wasn't just the fact that Morris Mills and John Butts and Murray Morris and you know, all those people lived in American County and represented it. It was more than that. It's just that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know whether that's worth anything in your, yeah, I've, your, your histories or not, but I do think that's there, and I don't know if it's still as much today as I it mean, was then. I think that is, yeah, that is something that's interesting, because I have heard people mention that before or mention it from the, from the other side where they're like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that think that, you know, everything revolves around... Uh, Marion County and, and stuff like that. So it would be, I think, interesting for people in the future to look into, like doing research on on sort of the, 
the history of that conversation and that going back and forth. Um, yeah. Doesn't always work out. Uh, I mean, I, I remember uh, the big fight over having the University of Indianapolis, uh, not the one that now, but the one that the people wanted back in the yeah. 80s and 90s. And, uh, you know, the other universities, uh, IU particularly, uh, because of the med school and dental school and everything that was here with IU, it was more more IU in Annapolis than it was IUPUI. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and, and I, to the extent that IU had graduates, I mean, people like Les Duvall and others that were IU graduates, they were not in favor of, uh, you know, a university of Annapolis. Uh, and Larry Borson, and uh, John Butts and the people in the financial aid, they, they were very big in wanting that to happen. And, uh, right. So there was this Marion County, Republican Marion County fight, you know, about, about this issue. Sure. Uh, let's see, I have a, a few more questions for you. Um, what lessons, if any, did you learn from your experiences in the Indiana General Assembly? Uh, try to try to be real philosophical here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think uh, I don't know whether I had to learn this or not, but uh, people always talk about you know, politicians are a lying bunch of people. This or that. I found exactly the opposite. If you had to, you know, I don't know of any legislator that lasted would have lasted very long. You know, if they don't not to tell people the truth, right? Uh, uh, boy, you're, I mean, if your your if your word is no good, I mean, you're not going to get much done. Uh, so I don't really. I mean, there may be a lot of problems with legis- legislators, but I think you know, being liars isn't one of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's see, what was your question again? That, oh, just what? What, what lessons, if any, did you learn? I, I, I learned that you know that that uh, individual uh, associations do make a difference. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a uh, you know, it can go a long way toward passing your bill or uh, if people like you. Um, and I, I don't know whether that's so true today or not because, uh, you know, your party affiliation and your, and again, maybe I just read the national situation into this because I don't really know what's going on in the General Assembly today, but I would say when I when I was there, just having some kind of rapport with people across the aisle as well as people in your own caucus. Uh, uh, and I, I realized that, you know, legislators are just like anybody else. You know, you got ones that are really good and really effective. And those two things aren't necessarily the same or smart. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, when you got ones that you're not sure where they knew where the bathroom was, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, and you know, being elected, I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I'm sure that people look at your education background and your knowledge of issues and all that sort of thing. But uh, you know, it's not a requirement, right? Yeah. Uh, sure. I'm trying to think of something else. You know, there got to be some some other things that I learned. I hope I didn't spend all that time and not learn it. <laughs> uh, uh, like I said, it's a lot. You, you, you learn that there's. It's not exactly like you. 
you know, passing bills and this sort of thing and getting things done are not exactly what you thought they were. I mean, right. say there's a, lot, there's a lot of ways to get what you want. In fact, I, you know, I always started out every legislative session saying, okay, you know, what are the five things I think that the state needs to do? And then what are the thing, five things that I want to do, you know, that are good for my district or, you know, something I want to accomplish? And always, you know, keeping the big picture in mind is really important. I mean, you can get bogged down in little things in the legislature that really don't amount to much. And sure. uh, that's that's true in life, I think, you know, that trying to stick with, you know, the, the main things is pretty important. It's really hard to do, you know, when you have this crisis or some other crisis always going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you know, maybe this isn't the be all and end all. I'll take us something else in a minute. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Did you have any uh, regrets as a legislator? Um, I don't think overall. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I was there. I got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Like I said, the last time I ran, I really didn't want to. I just was, you know, I really wanted to get the park done, and that was probably the, the yeah. primary. And also the last time I, well, I didn't know 94 was going to be a disaster, you know, when, when I ran. Right. For Democrats, and that's when we really dropped. So there's, there was always this, you know, I need to run because we'll never take the majority if we need a seat like yours. Yeah. And we probably would have lost this seat because it's... Uh, it's just too Republican a place. <laughs> yeah. I think I was the first Democrat, maybe the only, it's the only Democrat I can remember ever having the, the seat. Um, and it seemed like it was always every time, you know, whether it was 86 or 90 or even 94, I think we, we still had like 22 or something like this. I can't remember exactly. So it wasn't hopeless until, you know, until that election. When we dropped, you know, another three or four or five seats, I can't remember. Right. Um, so there's always a little bit of pressure there. Sure. You do. You do fall into it. I mean, I always tried to. I think one of the reasons I was reasonably successful and very successful in winning uh, the seat was sort of an attitude of uh, I can always do something else. And uh, I don't think I think a lot of legislators that are there are there for the duration, and um, that was one of the reasons I probably was thinking about. Is like, is this something I want to do all my life? When I, you, know, <laughs> or, you know, when I was when I 1990, I was still only 46. I had some chances to do some other things. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of people just uh, it's their life, and uh, I don't think it ever quite became that for me. Uh, sure. Although I think I was I was approaching it. Uh, what? In, well, I, yeah, I, go I, ahead. I, I can't. I can't. You know, we talk about things you learn. I mean, yeah, the, the the value of just personal friendships. I mean, I became very good friends with a few other people in the legislature. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, we hung out together, did things together, did things outside the legislature together, and uh, you know, wouldn't trade those friendships. Sure. Yeah. Uh. What advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Oh, that's that's an easy one for me. Uh, it really reflects my 
my uh, move to the governor's office, and that is uh, learn what the executive branch does and learn the people in it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just like, God, I, I just, I couldn't believe. You know, it didn't really dawn on me uh, how unin, uninformed legislators as a group were about the executive branch. I mean, you're, you're, you're living one floor apart from you know the budget agency and and all the other people, and the, and you got all these things that the uh, Department of uh, Administration uh, that kind of runs the government, the Highway Department. God, do you have any roads that need repaired in your district? Uh, um, you know the the uh, idea. I mean, every every legislator has an idea issue of some kind. Yeah. Uh, in, in the district, and and I'll bet right today. And this is just a guess. I'll bet right today, way over half of the legislators do not know who the uh, governor's chief executive assistant is. Oh, wow. Or administrative assistant. I mean, I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe they do. But I did. I, I know they didn't at the time I was I was there. And, you know, I mean, how important. God, yeah, I, I've asked the local legislator, I, I suggested to her that, you know, you're, you're, you're a freshman. Don't, you're not going to do anything anyway. Right. <laughs> and in the minority. And, you know, go get another legislator, you know, and, uh, and call up uh, FSSA. They don't call it that maybe anymore. But, you know, and talk to, talk to get an appointment with the, with the head of Medicaid, you know, and, and, and learn what the chief, the number one program in the state is, you know, because not hardly anybody knows what Medicaid really does. And, uh, you know, and they'd be delighted. I mean, it's like, as a matter of fact, the word would go around the governor's office like, do you, do you know what legislators such and such did? They actually called us and wanted to know what we do. You know, it's like, uh, I, I, I just, I'm baffled by the fact that legislators win and they, they live in such a world of their own oftentimes. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, and, and. And I know, I know when I was there at the governor's office, I mean, if somebody had done that, we say, put them on the list, you know, you know, we, we have 30 bills a year that we, you know, that come out of the governor's office, maybe more, you know, we could use this person, you know, <laughs> they actually know something, <laughs> they would be hopeful. Uh, and, and I just, you know, just, it's baffling to me that, you know, you can ask a legislator, you know, you know, who's, uh, you know, who's the head of financial institutions and, you know, 11 out of 150, no, you know, it's like, uh, and I, I, that would be my advice to every legislator that comes along and say, get out of your shell, you know, <laughs> you know and learn something about the job. And, and I had, I had a huge, you draw the budget committee, you, that happens. I mean, the year. They come before you automatically because you know they're arguing for their budgets and what they're doing, and you really have an opportunity to learn, you know, what literally every agency in the state government does that makes a presentation to the budget committee. And I don't even know how they work this anymore. I don't know what the rule. I know the budget committee sort of still exists. I don't think it's quite the same now as it was. Yeah, but, but they do it. I mean, I, that, anyway, that. That's that sort of pet peeve of mine. It's like, my God, you know, you know <laughs> call us, call us up. We'd be delighted. <laughs> it was a yeah. You know, call up the head of IDEM and find out about, uh, you know, air, land, and water <laughs> in the state. 
but sure, I don't think it happens much. Um, what, if any, enduring qualities do Hoosiers still have or hold dear? Uh, well, I, I'm not sure I like an answer a question like that. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, give me a really good poll and maybe I can give you an answer. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. No, that's, that's, that is an answer in a way. So that's interesting. Okay. Um, last question then. If you're, if you're asking me why in the world, why in the world would uh, 57% of the people vote for Donald Trump, I have no idea. Fair enough. <laughs> um, let's see. What do you want Hoosiers to know about their role and relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? Um, well, I mean, the, the things that they're likely to know are the things that interest them, particularly. Yeah. Um, like I say, I don't think it's necessary for probably everybody to that's interested in education to understand the school formula. Right. But, uh, you know, I think in a, in a loose way, uh, I mean, people, people went to the, the polls and they, and, you know, and they voted, uh, I think took a constitutional amendment when, when we made a change in the property tax, which has a direct, you know, we now have the system where you have caps on individuals and caps on, uh, business owners and caps on farmers at different levels for how much they can be paid, can pay in property taxes. I mean, that was an enormous bill. I think it directly affected schools. And so I would think that, you know, probably people ought to know things like, you know, if you're interested in education, you know, you really ought to be interested in this bill and things like that. But I don't know. People are so different. Uh, sure. I'm not sure that I live in a pretty education-oriented district with Purdue here, and yeah, yeah, uh, you know. So you've got that influence that makes I think the people that care about public schools and higher ed, maybe environmental issues and things like this, are a little higher here than they would would be in the average district. Maybe not much, but some. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I mean, is there uh, any? Things that uh, we haven't talked about that you remember and you want to mention, or uh, I'm sure there will be as soon as we hang up. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's life. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, um, I think roles between. Uh, Um, I, 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 I think the power the powers that exist between the legislature and the executive branch. I mean, that's that's a that's an issue that I'm not sure I've got any great things to say about it. It's just that you know that's a that's a tension. Yeah. Maybe 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 the fact that Republicans control everything makes it less of a tension. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like there's always something to fight about regardless of what. But sure. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know many more about uh, how much of a tension there is between this is a legislative decision and this is this is an executive branch decision. Right. There used to be, there used to be quite a bit. 
like the governor's doing something that, you know, that he doesn't have legislative authority to do. And the governor says, I can do this because of such and such. And well, once you get into it at the national level, too. But, um, I mean, those are ongoing kinds of things. I mean, some of, some of the issues that we get into, uh, you know, I, I was surprised at. I mean, I, I went to, I went, Eli Lilly used to be the, one of the main businesses here. They, they've uh, left the community, sold out to another, another group that does about the same thing, I think. But, um, I went, we used to get invited out to Lilly to not just hear their executives, but to, to meet with any of the general workforce that wanted to, and I can still remember you know, attending the first of those, I knew probably 50, 60 people that were there. That's the first time I ever heard about the importance of guns oh, okay. in people's lives. Yeah. It's like I grew up in a non-gun household and never, never yet have understood why people need to have own a bazooka or a rocket launcher or whatever they yeah. want. And uh, so to hear that, you know, it was like, wow, you know. Here's a whole different world that I've never seen. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't even know how that fit into your question. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure those experiences definitely sort of give you a little bit of a better idea of just all the different people in the state. And... Yeah. I, I, think, I think one of the things I found out kind of earlier is... Uh, of how little importance the average person gives the legislature. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I can remember that I when, I, when the first year I was there, radio still played a huge role in news. Okay. And, and I think our main station, uh, we had two or three, and they had a whole news team. I mean, the, well, they had a head of news, and they had about four reporters. This is the radio, yeah. not the newspaper. And uh, I can remember being there, it was about the 10th or 15th of May, and we'd been out of there on the 30th of April or 29th or whatever the last day was. So we'd been out about two weeks, and I ran into the head of the news team out there. This is a guy that I talked to my, during my initial announcement in 1973. Yeah. And... Uh, and he was the head of a team of four people. They'd been down the legislature. They'd been covering the legislature. And I ran into him in the grocery store, and he asked me if we were still in session. And he was serious. And we'd been out for two weeks. And it's like, you know, if, if this guy, who knows more probably than 99.9% of the people about what's going on, doesn't even know whether we're still in session or not, you know, there aren't very many people that really care about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was a, that's an eye opener, you know, and now if, it, if you've done something that absolutely directly affects them, they would certainly know. But other than that, I mean, there's, there's not too much that, uh, that you, you know, that really anybody gets too excited about. Now, maybe that's changeable because, you know, guns and abortion and some of these things are, seem to, be on people's minds, but uh, anyway, that, that, I guess that's another thing I've learned in the legislature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. it it is interesting to see what what people sort of get get interested in um, that that happens in the legislature. But uh, I, yeah, I have heard a lot 
of legislators talk about how people are not nearly as involved or aware as they probably should be about things that go on. Um, in some respects, I had a district, and I think it's still maybe a little bit this way, is uh, that I could do, I couldn't please everybody, but I, I couldn't make everybody mad either. Yeah. Because we were really, I mean, it just seemed like a lot of the issues in this area were, well, as everybody generally supported education, and they're pretty much more so on environmental issues, probably, and a lot of these kinds of things. Uh, I didn't have, like, education, like, was probably my labor union, you know. As, yeah. Whether, whether there were areas that, you know, were heavily labor-oriented back in the 70s, they were not anymore, but... Uh, so somebody maybe felt obligated to sort of like go along with whatever the United Auto Workers, you know, said locally or wanted because they had so many workers in that area. I never had that. All my, other than Purdue, you know, there was no other really number one employer. There were maybe about a half a dozen of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as long, as long as I could go someplace and explain what I did, uh, I think most people were happy with that. They, they just kind of wanted to know it least thought about it <laughs> right right and uh and, and I'm not, you know a lot of districts weren't like that a lot of people had a lot of people that had really heavy democratic districts had to worry about what their precinct committeeman said oh, okay. or, what county, or what their county chairman said i didn't know who my county chairman was probably in the most of that time yeah and i certainly didn't know who the indiana state democrat uh, <laughs> chairman was uh one, one thing well way back i, I uh, you asked about you know how I got involved in politics. One of the things, uh, another guy, uh, myself in the high school uh, where I taught, uh, had a whole week in uh, in our government classes where we had uh, speakers. And I remember, uh, where on the ERA, for example, we'd have you know a person representing each side come in and they'd debate the issue in our classes and did the same thing for a lot of other issues that that came in. I spent a whole week both on state and local local governments. And yeah. uh, I remember for, for the ERA, we had uh, Tom Teague, who was the Senate sponsor of the ERA. Yeah. And uh, a lady named Beulah Kokenauer. And uh, she was part of the, you know, kind of the Phyllis Shafley kind of anti-groups. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we did that, did that a lot. So I guess that's another area where kind of Tighten my uh, my interest a little bit. Sure, sure. Was, was doing those things. Uh, like I said, I ran almost unaffiliated as far. I mean, party organization and party uh, was not that much a concern. I would say probably Tiffany New County, where I live today, probably an outlier too. I mean, we have a, a Democratic. Uh, Mayor of Lafayette and a Republican Mayor of West Lafayette. Both of them have been there, I think, four or five terms now. And uh, we have three county commissioners that are Republicans and a couple, a split county council. Uh, but I think, you know, you you would never know any of these people what their party was. I mean, I, they, I, they all work together. And uh, I don't know. It just seems to me that uh, maybe we're just an island, you know, in the... Yeah. But that was always the way it was in the legislature for me. Yeah. Bill Long and Stan Jones and I were there for a while. Uh, 
we had uh, at one time the budget committee was made up of four people who lived in Tippecanoe New County. Oh wow! <laughs> the five member, the only one that was. Well, John Huey was the uh, budget agency director for a while, and he was with the Purdue. Uh, he became Purdue's lobbyist after that. And then Bill Longstan Jones and myself were the two representatives of the senator, and we were the other three members. We had three, we had four of the five, briefly. <laughs> wow. So, so you didn't yeah, really, we were, yeah, go ahead. No, we were ready to build a state park back in 1982, and then the, then Bill got beat, and uh, the state ran out of money, and uh, so that all kind of fell through. And we waited another ten years to start our parking yeah so, so did you feel it was pretty easy to work with the other party and stuff during your time yeah i mean that was my whole background uh yeah i mean i i mean like i say it kind of came out of a background where you know there wasn't a huge party thing there might have been that i wasn't aware of yeah and a lot of the issues uh I don't know, pretty not our parts. I mean, back then, I think you could, you know, got a lot of support for public schools. And I know Bill Huck, you know, was a Purdue grad and, you know, loved Purdue. And so, yeah. Uh, he was, he was there. Uh, yeah, today, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know whether other places, uh, I don't know whether Marion County is, you know, Fights all the time between Republicans and Democrats or not, but uh, I know here here it's not. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, this has been uh, pretty interesting. Um, I think you've definitely had a lot of uh, useful things for the project, and uh, should be a, a good addition for sure. So I yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to to take part in this. Yeah, just just one other thing. Do oh you, yeah, uh, definitely. Do, do you do you uh, have a, you have a list of? I assume you have a list of people you want to talk to. I didn't. I don't know whether I, maybe I can add anything to. I would be. I would love to actually if you have a list of people you want to send me names and like contact info for. That would be great because, I mean, one of the challenges of the project is that it's, uh, you know, pretty much just trying to find people. Uh, based off information I, I can you know come across online because we don't have like a database with everyone's uh, you know information for all these former legislators. So, mm-hmm. I mean, is there? Are you more interested in like trying to go way back in time and try to get some stuff that maybe um, I, might, I might know somebody that knows somebody? It's it's basically any former legislator. So that's that's. All those okay. people are fair game to interview, and um, I've I started with interviewing people from the '60s, and so I try to find as everyone I could from '60s, yeah. and, and uh, now I've been working on the '70s. So, yeah. Uh, do you have Marilyn Schultz on your list? Marilyn Schultz, I, be- yeah, she's definitely been on the list. I think we might have had trouble contacting her. But uh, I, I, that name is definitely on the list. Okay. Yeah, I will, I will think about that. And uh, um, I'm trying to say, I, actually, former budget agency uh, directors would be, you know, if you want to 
I like Tom Taylor. I don't know whether he's still alive or not. Yeah. Um, he was a budget agency director before I was there. I think for Whitcomb. Uh, but if he's still around, I hate to say it, but you know how many people are still functional if they are around. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the. I'm not my 80s or 90s yet. I'm way away from there. But then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, I try to. I'll, I'll try to make up. I mean, so so it, it, it doesn't have to be a, a legislator, but maybe somebody was really close to the legislators. Um, well, uh, unfortunately, the project was only funded to interview former legislators. Yeah. So okay, so, um, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, that would help narrow, I guess, the list then. So. Yeah. All right. See you. All right. Thank you. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.